2015, a passenger ticket. You've got an 18-month wait here now because it's at least 18 months. Mm -hmm. You can go up here. Mm -hmm. But right now, they're selling passenger tickets for $200,000. So if I go to Amazon.com, I can buy my tickets? I don't think so because there's a waiting list of 80,000. Wow. Zero. Thousand. <laughs> so, well, you know, two hundred thousand dollars, maybe a thousand people. Can you and that eighty thousand people? I mean, you know, Patricia, why don't we own one of these? Shows? It could be a it could be a money maker for us. No, I would like somebody who can afford two hundred thousand dollars on a space shot to call me. I have <laughs> I have some things for sale. I mean, isn't this incredible? And they figure uh, not very long in the distant future. Tickets will drop to forty or fifty thousand dollars, but even at that, and they they put it in perspective when transcontinental flights and transatlantic flights first came in, they were very very expensive. I wonder, if, you know, when we started airline service, uh-huh. I think it must have been about nineteen thirty or so. I wonder how much was a ticket from California to New York? Ooh, do I have to guess? I don't know the answer. I'm just, just Take a guess, and then I'll look it up. My guess is about nineteen, about three hundred some odd dollars, about three hundred thirty-one dollars. Are you kidding me? Well, I'm just guessing. I'm guessing five thousand. Okay. All right, trans. <laughs> Transcontinental. So you know, it's fun was to the old radio show from the thirty, because really, you know, airline travel was a big deal. You know, from the from the guy who flew the planes, you had so many stories based upon, you know, test pilots and and barnstorming, and you had Howard Hughes and all those people trying to break aviation records in the third. Very romantic, you think about it. Transcontinental flight. The first transcontinental flight was made by. Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean timeline. Um, well, we don't want to know about the ones who failed, do we? <laughs> uh, references. No, we want to know about a commercial. And, and you know, you know what the, you know. Also, I didn't get no. You know what some of the requirements to be a stewardess was, in the early mid thirty days. Well, you couldn't be married. You weren't allowed to be married. They had height and weight restrictions. Um, they had age restrictions. Something more impressive. Something very dear to Patricia's little heart. They had to like chocolate. Well, not that precious, but... (laughs) (laughs) Something very near into... Well, they had to be educated. Correct. What kind of education? They They needed a college education. What kind, yeah. Um... Um, certainly wasn't Bachelor's of Arts. Nope. I would say... What were their degrees in? <sighs> this is the sound that Walden makes when he's thinking. Do, 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 Science. Do. It might be languages. Nope. Something close and dear to your little heart. English? No. Well, there are an awful lot of things near and dear to me, I guess. Well, you have this one. What? They were all our aunts. They did. They all had... Yep. They were all our aunts. Hello there. You're on the air. Oh, 
Hello. Hello. How, how you doing? I have the answer to the stewardess. You do? What the, what the answer? They had to be an RN. That's right. <laughs> Who are we talking with? Who this? This is Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Hello. And where are you calling from? I'm calling from Alabama. Oh. That's that's good. So you you knew there was R N. They had to be R N. So I wonder I wonder when they put the restrictions in. You know the requirements in. Uh, that's the only one I know that. Because <laughs> there was a radio show portrayed called Anne of the Airlines. That comes. That come. That's how come I found. I knew the answer. Crossed that one a couple of times, and I don't. I haven't found any substantial number of the shows. How many are surviving? I don't know, but I think a whole run of them. At least a hundred or so. Really? Mm -hmm. I need to go out and search a little bit more. Do you want a question? Do I want a question? Yeah. Sure. Old-time radio trivia. I'll try. All right. How about um, a cowboy horse? <laughs> Are you going to ask me for Hopalong Cassidy's horse? No. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um... Do you know Hopalong Cassidy's horse? No. <laughs> <laughs> we can forget that one. <laughs> All right, let me see. Um, what was Dale Evans' horse's name? Buttermilk. Very good. Not job. everybody knows that. Um, a lot of people say it is Buttercup, and it is not. It's no, Buttercup was Matt Dillon's horse. No. Not even close. Are uh, you sure about that, Patricia? I am sure about that. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I have one. I'll try another one. No, you won't. <laughs> um, you got you got JL Evans. Um, I have your address. Do you want any old time radio shows? Sure. What what flavor would you like? What flavor do you have? Do you have chocolate? All of them. <laughs> you like. Uh, do you have Amos and Andy? Oh, boy, do I have Amos and Andy. Sure. I would love Amos and Andy. Well, you can have Amos and Andy then. Okay. I got bunches. Okay, I'll send them to you. Thank you so much. Okay, you have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, 714-545-2071. And you can give us a call. We are open for, for business. 714-545-2071. We still need to know the names of the shuttles. We had six. Last one is up in the air. We really did have six, huh? Yeah, we really did. Hmm. We had Endeavor, which oh, Endeavor, one that yeah. just came through. Yeah, Endeavor, okay. One that gave me my sonic boom. Mm. How could you forget my sonic boom? I know, I know. Columbia was the one that exploded on re-entry. Right, through, through Texas, yeah. Yeah, and boy, that was really a tragedy. Yeah, I remember I was on the air that night. Yeah. It was a Saturday night, yeah. Ellinger, we lost in 1986. Yeah, I think all of us will remember that. And then we had Discovery, mm -hmm. Enterprise. Oh, Discovery, Enterprise, yeah. And the one that's up there now is Atlantis. So they didn't, they didn't eat anything after the Pacific. After the Atlantis. I know. <laughs> Atlantis. I know. <laughs> you thought you got me. I know. You got me. 
I know. What does NASA mean? NASA. Um, for? I have a great story about NASA. Let's see. The National Aeronautics um, Society of who knows? I don't know. The National Aeronautic and Space Administration. Space Administration, yeah. Very official. Very official. Okay, what's your story? NASA story. 1981, I was at the Boy Scout National Jamboree, and we were in Washington, D.C., and we took a tour of NASA. Yeah, they have the museum there. And so, uh, we were going through, most people may or may not know, I don't see. And so, uh, we, and, you know, we have 40 scouts, and one of them just told the security guy, just shut off the burglar alarm system, we're not going to fill all the spaceships anyway. So they did. They shut off the burglar cool. and I got to fill all those rockets and everything. How cool is that? Hello there, you're on the air. Hi. Hey, Fred. Hi, Fred. How you doing? Oh, all right. I think I have a bit of information on uh, the space shuttles. I may be wrong. Okay. But I don't think the Enterprise was a working shuttle. I think that was the one that they made that they landed. They, they test landed it. Uh-huh. Fred, I think you're right. That was the, like one of the first prototypes or something. I, think I don't think it could actually go into space. It's listed as one of the shuttles, but it did not complete a docking. It was the one that did not dock. Right, okay. You're right. I thought so. Being a Star Trek fan, I thought it was cool when they named the Enterprise. I thought it was, too. Wasn't that neat? But they, but they have it listed as a shuttle. But if it didn't shuttle anywhere... I always remember the kids. Remember in the 70s? We always could watch it on TV because it was always a big deal to watch them land in the ocean. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. Yeah. The nose cone uh, would drop. This was, uh, I think what they did with the Enterprise, though, is this, they brought it up piggyback on, like, one of those big planes. Uh-huh. And then they just, like, landed it. It was, like, the big deal of it. Uh-huh. To see if that would work kind of thing. You've got your homework. That's your homework assignment. I'm thinking of having those problems again. No, that, that wasn't a problem. That was a homework assignment. Oh, okay. No, I think I'm having dead air again, though. Oh, uh, well, can you still hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. okay. I've been having problems with this phone all week. I don't think it's you guys. I think it's me. Oh, yeah, I'm hearing some background noise, but that's okay. Something going on with the speaker of this yeah, phone. Yeah, maybe you can call the uh, Vista, Vista Telephone Company and order a new phone. Oh, there we go. They actually do have one on the website. We found the Whistle Vista Telephone Company. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a, uh, next week maybe I'll try, I got an old desktop, it's not a speakerphone, but maybe I'll plug that in and try it. Hey, great. I can probably hear you. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, you heard that, the end of that. Anyway, I just had to call in and say hi. Hi, Fred. How's the weather in Vermont? Wonderful. You're ready for summer? Oh, yes. It's been summer all week. So, was, uh, so is snow going to happen next week? Uh, well, you never know. <laughs> I know my parents told me once, and I, I've never seen it this late, but they went down to my uncle's wedding in July and got snowed in in Boston. July? What year, about when was that? What year? I would have to guess. I would have to be... Oh, God. My parents were married in 55, so it would have to be... 
And I could probably look this up because I've done my family tree, but I, I don't, so I don't have the exact date. I'm guessing 52, 53. I think Charles and Paul were married before Dad and Mom, but it could have been late. It could have been as late as 57 or 58. But it was in the 50s. I think it's illegal. Um, I think they were married before Bob and Dad, but they could have been married after. I'm not sure. Fred, I think it's illegal to have snow in July. I'll tell you, I think my dad, when my dad was working in the oil fields, he was drilling, drilling an oil field out in, uh, I think it was North Dakota, in August. They, they hit ice. Wow. You know, that's talking about not freezing. Yeah. We have a place here, as a matter of fact, it's not 20 miles from my house if you're in the Splunking, which I'm not. No, uh, I'm not. It's the ice caves. No, I don't think so. And no matter what time of year you go, you go down far enough, it's all ice. I don't think Patricia's going on that trip. I don't think so. No. Uh, that, uh, in fact, that date, let me see if I can, I might be able to get that right now. Let me see. I'll have the tea and biscuits ready. <laughs> Tea and crumpets. Yeah, okay, crumpets. 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 Oh, crumpets. I'll have the welcome home party. Oh, crumpets. Oh, the, the cookie-ish like things. Oh, from England. Yeah. Oh, I may be starting a uh, national bakery, uh, uh, a new pastry. You are? I think so. I'm thinking about it. I think I told you guys about it before. It's called a hi-hat. That's right. Huh? Have you found your dad's recipe? Not yet, but uh, I think my uncle must have a copy of it, too, because he used to make it in his bakery, and as late as four years ago, you could still buy them around here because uh, the Tasty Bakery, every time they sold the bakery, they sold the recipes with it. And uh, we used to, used to, they used to sell some of their stuff to local stores, and they went out of business totally four years ago. Um closed their doors, did not get resold, and with them, hi-hats disappeared. Because, like I said, it was my grandfather's recipe, and nobody else knows how to make them. So I guess you're going back into business, huh? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Maybe uh, start local and... Uh... When you become rich and famous, will you remember us? Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hi-hat millionaire, you know? You'll call in on Saturday night. Uh, let me see. I'm on my family tree. I don't know. Let me see if I can find Congratulations. You've been selected to take part in a family survey. Please take our 30-second questionnaires. And if you say thank you, we'll offer you an exclusive gift. Oh, alright, lucky. Oh, wow. What do you win? Yeah, you, 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 you win my email address. You want a free trip to Richardson, Texas. Yeah. Yeah, to see the, the yesterday oh, USA yeah. Empire. Advertising, they're going to want to send me. Okay. That's the family tree. And let's see if I can get back to where Charles is and see if I got his wedding date. Uh, let me go to people. Where are we? Home. People, people. Uh, find a person. List all people. There we go. Pocket. Uh, Charles Pocket. Fred, what are you looking for? Where are you? She's gonna give you the date when the when the uh, when the July when the snow came in July. He finally found a family tree. Anyway, I don't know if I've got that 
their wedding date down or not. I'm going to look it up, though. Uh, when you find it... You want to call us back? You give us a call. Yeah, I can do that. If I find it, I'll call you back. All right. And I'll have a, I'll have a question for you. Oh, and if I don't find it, I'll call you next week and answer your question. Sounds like a winner. I'll call you back anyway if I stay awake. Okay. <laughs> if not, have a good night. Thanks, Fred. Bye-bye. That's a good way to find out if she's still, it's awake, he'll call us. He'll call you, yeah, well. Yeah. This is cool. This is cool. 714-545-2071. That's Patricia's number. That is our number. That's her number on Saturday night. You can talk to lovable. And, and adorable. Adorable. Okay, now I've got some, I have some other, other, um, stop, base stop. stuff. What's our, what's our secret word? If you know the secret word you, uh, for tonight, you can you can have the duck fly down. We have a secret word. Yes. Okay. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. Well, no. All well, right. it's, it's it's the word that we love. It's Atlantis floating around out there. Yeah. It's it's the word we love. It's the word that we always try to sneak in every show. Okay. Well. That's our secret word. All right. I've got some weight here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You didn't use the secret word. I have to give the secret. If I give the secret word, everybody's going to call in. Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, you're really smart. Well, I know that. This is our, this is our bright leader. Well, he's just trying to help out. Okay, bright leader. <laughs> without, yeah. without all of the stuff, like booster rockets and external tanks and payload and everything, an empty... Atlantis shuttle. How did, much does it weigh? Did you notice everybody? She did do the secret word. Anyway. Um, <laughs> All right. Do you know the secret word? Yes, I did. Could I create the secret word for tonight? And you just said it. I did? Yes. Atlantis. No, it's the other one. Okay. No, it's the oh. other one. Stuff. Yes. She you know the secret word. Right. So if you know the secret word, everybody, you can call in. Anyway. Um, so without the stuff. Okay, I, I think all the stuff, right? I think I think the thing must weigh. You know the secret word? Hello there, caller. Do you know the secret word? It must be stuff. Oh, you're so right, Dennis. You're yes. absolutely correct. Do you have your uh, computer turned up? I just turned it off. Okay. Sorry. No, we were getting some feedback there. Yeah, I was a little slow on the click. How you doing? Hi, Dennis. Hi. I've been listening to you torture people with all these horse questions. Uh-oh. Oh, 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 oh. So okay. I decided... Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Could I please be excused? I have to go get coffee. Okay. I still got some leftover buffalo wings. Um. What? What? So you may have asked this already, because... Well, she did, so we can, we can go to the next question. <laughs> Frankly, I I can't listen to your whole show every Saturday, but what? um. What, Patricia and I listen um, to the whole show. We have to be here. We think you should be too. Yes, we hear the whole show. Yeah, that would be fair. Okay. Um, who owned the horse Cougar? Cougar. Oh wow! And he said it all the time in his show. He was always talking to his horse. This was television or radio? Radio. You're a radio show. 
I know, but every... They don't ask you television questions. Once in a while, somebody will sneak it in, you know. I do not know. Walden? Shooter. Who had a horse named Cougar? Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it over. Who? I'm thinking it over. Um, not front two gentlemen. No. Is it Fort Wormy? No, it was a six-shooter. No way. Six-shooter's horse was named... Scar. Scar. Really? Yes. Huh. So there. You tried to trick us. I did. You, you did very well. You tried to trick us, and we knew the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, what was the name of the character that Jimmy Stewart played in that show? Pick me, pick me. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. I just want to see... All right, Patricia, uh, what's what the no, answer? No, if, if he can answer, he gets some radio shows. Oh. Who was the six-shooter? Boy. No, that wasn't it. <laughs> I'm not very good with names. Oh. You Never have been. You're going to hit yourself upside the head and say, oh, I knew that. Probably so. But I have, I have a better question for you. Uh-oh, I really am going to get my coffee. Keep talking. Um, no, this is, this is more like something interesting to think about. I sent you, you, Patricia and Walden, um, well, I sent it to Patricia, assuming she'd tell you, um, a couple of weeks ago about an actress. And um, it made me think a little bit. And um, what I thought of is, wouldn't it be interesting if you guys could tell us who nicest actress and actor was in old time radio oh wow boy you'd have a hard time picking that one well, I, can, I can give I can give a lot of wonderful traits of a lot of people yeah. uh, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story uh, Virginia Payne with Maul Perkin for 27 years okay. what did she do for all her fans I don't know she wrote. She, she, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Patricia. She wrote back, and if they asked for autographed pictures, she would send them. But she also sent personal notes. She was a constant letter writer. How did she have time to do this? I don't know. She was just a constant letter writer. They said in the rehearsal they could always see her writing letters. Perhaps a woman with a mission. Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you another interesting story. Our favorite Les Tremaine, we knew him. He was a guest a lot of here on Yesterday USA. He actually supported the station. Um, he was a busy Chicago radio actor doing 45 shows a week and doing some of the famous soap operas. 45? 45 shows a week. Amazing. Yeah. I know. And he would get these wonderful letters um, from the one woman in the South. I think it was from Alabama who was saying how much she loved radio, and she was an invalid, and it bothered Les Tremaine so much that he arranged to bring her up from the south into Chicago to see Nancy Davis' dad. Of course, you know, Nancy Davis' dad was a, was a doctor. 
course, you know, uh, Nancy Reagan. But he paid out all his own money, and one night thing he did, he set up in her apartment and bought every radio actress who was in auto shop to come meet her and have a party for her. Wow. Yeah. A lot of radio figures were really down to earth, super, down to earth really super people nice who people. Were, who had a heart. Mm-hmm. They really loved people. Yes. Well, that was kind of like why I asked. Because from time to time on your show, I've heard you, you talk about all the nice things these people have done. But my challenge for you is, can you pick the nicest Oh, well, that's pretty hard. No. No? Just help me out. No. Okay, well, then I'm not going to send you a CD. <laughs> it would be impossible. <laughs> you like asking me which chocolate bar is best. <laughs> well, they're all good. No, I, I couldn't do it. I don't know nearly as many as I should, but even among the ones I know. I, I couldn't pick out a best. Mm-mm. Terrific, great, wonderful, but I couldn't pick out a best. But you know what? I've already been successful. You, you got a couple of stories. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. I always thought it was really nice that West Tremaine, on his own expense, would bring a listener up from that's the amazing. South. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. And she was just thrilled to death. All right, she, well, I've got something for Dennis. All right. Oh, no. Well, Walden's mom sent it to him, and he sent it to me. And it's a list or a collection of common expressions with the origins. Really? Yes, and it's really a lot of fun. You know the expression, God willing, and the creek don't rise. I remember John Wayne saying it. Well, it's, it's an expression, so you're familiar with the expression. Yeah. Yes. You, you, John Wayne said that? Yeah, he said it in um, that movie he did, again, I'm horrible with names, with um, boys. With whom? With, he took a bunch of boys on oh. drive. God willing and the creek don't rise. God willing and the creek don't rise. Well, it's, it's a common expression. And people typically associate the creek with water. God willing and the creek don't rise, meaning the water doesn't flood us out. But it's not, I'm assuming all of this is true because it really sounds nifty. They're talking about creek Indians. It's a reference to creek Indians and not a body of water. It was, according to this, it was written by Benjamin Hawkins in the late 18th century. He was a politician and Indian diplomat. Now, Indian diplomat, it does not say that he was an Indian who was a diplomat or he was a diplomat who worked with the Indians. I have no idea what that means. Uh, But it continues. While in the South, Hawkins was requested by the president to return to Washington. In his response, he said, or he was said to have written, God willing and the creek don't rise. He capitalized the word creek. And it is deduced that he was referring to the Creek Indians and not a body of water. How about that? Not fun. And now that I think about it, what John Wayne said was, God willing and the river don't rise. <laughs> Did he really? Um, I think so. Dennis, you have to be precise. Why? 
Because I, I rely <laughs> on you. I rely on people to give me correct information. I, I, I really believe he did say, God willing, and the river don't rise. But in that movie. But anyway, that is interesting. I thought it was interesting. There's a whole bunch of others. I'll, I'll kind of apportion them out. Walden, would you tell your mom thank you? You bet. I thought you enjoyed that. Yeah, that was really nifty. Yeah. The whole list is terrific. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for your question, Dennis? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm never ready. Well, let me ask you first. Do you have a Christmas uh, Christmas story? Christmas anecdote? Christmas decoration story? Christmas tree fall down story? Anything with a Christmas tree in it? The only thing I can tell you is that my mom had um, an angel that always went on top of the Christmas tree. Uh-huh. And um, she would never put it up there until Christmas Eve after we all went to bed. And uh, she said, because it was special. And I didn't find out until decades later that it was actually from my great-great-grandmother. And she was afraid that the Christmas tree would fall down and it would break. So it was up Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, and then it came off. So it was there for just a very short time. It, it really was a family treasure. Uh, it was it was actually very beautiful. We'd get up on Christmas morning and run out, and I don't know what the other kids were doing, uh-huh. but I'd always go out and look up. Oh, how sweet. It was very beautiful, and we only had it for a short time each year, and then it went uh-huh. into its little box. What happened to the angel? Where is it now? I think my sister has it. Well, somebody in the family is protecting it. One can only hope. Yes. Well, yeah. It's, it's kind of scary when you think of those things, you know? All right, I've got a question for you. Oh, yeah. I was, I was hoping you'd Drum yeah. roll. <laughs> <laughs> Who played Leroy? In the Great Gildersleeve. We're getting tough here now. Not a clue. Oh, really? Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, that's that's in my head, but it's too late for me to kick the file cabinet tonight. Okay. Well, oh. um, can are are you able to bump it? Am I what? Are you able to bump the file cabinet, even if you can't kick it? Can you bump it? <laughs> All right. Uh, how about this one? Which character in Fibber McGee and Molly had bird watching as a hobby? Hmm. I'd have to think it was Mr. Peavy. No, Mr. Peavy was in The Great Gildersleeve. He had this person, this character in Fibber McGee and Molly, had his Bird books. Bird book. You know, there are just too many families in old-time radio. You're right. 
right. All right. So we're moving right along here. Um, um, Here's a good trivia question. How many questions does Patricia ask before she just gives up and decides someone's an idiot? Well, nobody's an idiot. The answer, and the, question the answer is she never gives up. She, oh, she, yes. she is faithful. She's yes. faithful to the end. <laughs> she, 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 she's got the biggest heart. I have faith. She does. All right. Where did the great Gildersleeve live? Come on, Dennis, you gotta, you gotta squeeze. Hmm. What's your favorite show? Well, he didn't live in Wistful Vista. Yes, he did. No. Yes, he did for one time. Well, you know, yes, he did. Until the end. Yes, right. He did live in Wistful Vista for a while. Oh, he, he, he lived there in the beginning. That's right. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> um, but he he did. He started out in Wistful Vista. I think I ought to give you credit for that. Yeah, he yeah. he. Okay, he he started out in Wistful Vista. Uh huh. But and he came back to visit his home place too. Um. Yeah, the show I pulled for tonight has him visiting, and I thought that was really unusual. It was the first Christmas away from home, and he was back visiting. Where did he move to? I mean, you, you don't have to squeeze anymore because I gave you Wistful Vista. You were right. He started in Wistful Vista. But just for the heck of it, where did he move to? Well, I remember the show with the train ride where he met the judge. Yes. Oh, wasn't that terrific? That was a great show. I thought that was that was a wonderful show. It was just super. I, I can't recall Judge Hooker ever being better than he was in in that particular show. Have he you know, was terrific. Don't you notice, though, the first two years or so, Judge Hooker really... He was, oh, he was rough. He was rough on, on Gildas, and it toned him down over the years. Yeah, but he was fun. Oh, yeah. He was. He was always, always fun, and he had that smirky little squeak of a laugh that was just dreadful. And he really didn't have a bad voice. He just had a bad voice for that show. Hey, play that voice, because I could hear him doing straight roles, and you could still tell it's the voice, but, he, have, he, you know. I have some children's stories mm -hmm. narrated by Earl Ross, right. and he does a wonderful job with them. I mean, he really has a nice narrator's voice. But Why did he pass away? You have the book sometime, you can look it up. I know he and... Dick LeGrand passed away, I think, and, and Gate passed away sometime in the 60s, but I'm not I'm not sure. I have no fear. Patricia's there. Let's see. Um, would he be in the radio stars, do you think? I think so. Let's see here, Dennis. Uh, what time of the year is this? Christmas. <laughs> right. So what, when we celebrate Christmas in July, what time of the year? Well, it's past... You're, you're in, tr in trouble territory there. Well, it's, it, what time of the season? Not even close to all of it. No, he's not in here. Uh, let me think. Earl Ross, let me see. I am trying to figure out what he just asked me. He's <laughs> trying to ask you what season are we in, and Walden, the answer is summer. Yeah, I'm trying to get to Gildersleeve Place. Okay, and it's not spring. What? It's summer. 
Well, I guess it depends on where you live. You were talking from a guy from Hampshire, I think, a little while ago. Vermont. Again, go for it. And Dennis. Yes. They were talking about snow. You were talking about snow in July. Yes. And what what time of the season is summer? What time is July and what season? Hanging around with the great Gildersleeve here. Yeah, trying I'm trying to, to help you. With, uh, trying to tell you the, 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 here. the city that the Gildersleeve moved to. Somerville? Summer. Summer. <laughs> Summer. Somerville? Close. You're so close. I can tell you at least you got the summer part correct. Somewhere, what did they, what did they moo moo on? Oh dear me! Summer. You're gonna kill this poor person. Summer pasture? Oh, you're close. <laughs> What's another word for pasture? Summerfield. Very good. I thought he was gonna kill you before you got there. Good for you, Dennis. You're so you good, Dennis. You're so there. good. <laughs> You hung in there. Earl Ross died May 21st, 1961. Wow. Young man. Well, he wasn't really a young man. He was 12. He was 73. Wow. <laughs> and that was a loss because... Oh, yeah. He was he was a really decent part of that show. Yes. Yes, he, he was. Well, he died after the show was discontinued. How, how late did Gildersleeve play? Until 1958. So it wasn't too much longer after that. How about Richard Legrand? When did, when did he pass away? Ask Mr. Peavy. One of the puzzling things about Richard Legrand is that he identified himself in two ways. He is identified as Richard Legrand on some shows and Dick Legrand on other shows. And I, I think that's kind of peculiar that, is, that an actor would choose to have himself. It, it wasn't like when he grew up, he got to be Richard, mm -hmm. and he stayed with Richard as he matured. It's back and forth all the way through his career. Well, you know who else did that? In New York. A famous actor. Oh, dear. Lots of them. Yeah. Um, Bill and William and... All right. All right. But this one I'm thinking of was, did, was the star of a children's show. And then he would be a famous announcer on other shows. Beats me. Who would the star of Superman on radio? Soupy Sales. <laughs> no, <I'm laughs> no, it was Collier. Right. So he went with different names. Sometimes as an announcer on the soap opera, he would go by Clayton Collier. On radio, Superman would be Bud Collier. So he would use a different combination of names. Bud Collier on television as well. Uh -huh. um, I didn't realize that he used his given name at any time in his career. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Even it, you can listen to him at the announcement of Cavalcade of America in the early days. You could he would you go by his full name. Uh huh. How interesting. Yeah. Richard Legrand also died in 1963. 63. Okay. And he was older than the judge. And how old was Richard? Richard, um, 82, 82, 82, 82, 82, 82, 82, 82, 82, he was 81. So he died in 63 or 61? 63. 63. He was born in 1882. Huh. And he died in 1963. So he was 81, right? Yeah. See, I can count. You're, I, ran, I didn't run out of fingers. You look so good. I know. I can do that. So, anyway. I have to say. Um, Dennis, what would you like me to send you? I've got so many really good things here. I just wanted to say one other thing. What? The um, the character I think that I like the best, and you guys know, you know, I, I listen to old time radio, but I'm certainly not experts like you. Mm-hmm. But my favorite character so far is still. Digger Odell. Isn't he a hoot? John Brown. Yeah. He, he is so fun. I I listened to the whole show just for his bit. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Shove <me> off. He's... <laughs> I agree. Do I... <laughs> Shoveling off. Did I ever send you Life of Riley? Yes, you did, ma'am. I did. Okay. Is there something else you would like with John Brown in it, but he's not. He's he's only Digger Odell on the Life of Riley. Mm-hmm. I know he did a lot of shows. He, he did, did my my friend Irma. Mm-hmm. He did Damon Runyon. Damon Runyon. Sure. He did he did a date with Judy. Mm-hmm. The Fred Allen Show. Did a ton of radio. Yeah, he was great on the Damon Runyon Theater. Ron in Hawaii sent me some. Damon Runyon theater shows, and they are great. He is Broadway, the the narrator. He winds up telling the tale. There are actors and actresses throughout the play, but he tells the tale, and it's fun. It's it's really a funny show. I love that show. Do you have any? Would you like some? If you'd like to send me some, I don't want to make too much work for you. <laughs> okay. Um, Baby Snooks? Mm, you're already sending me that. He's in the mail. I wanted you to ask me, where is Baby Snooks? She went in the mailbox, um, Friday? Thursday, I guess. Thursday. Okay. I looked yesterday and it wasn't there. Then I looked down at my feet. And there was a dog standing there. And I said, hmm, no Baby Snooks. And he barked at me. And I go, well, I don't know where it is. We'll just have to wait for Patricia. Dennis, go to your room. <laughs> I bet you a lot of people did name their dogs Baby Snooks over no the years. kidding? I wouldn't be surprised. Or Snooks? I don't know. I bet that I bet people did. Snooks, maybe Snooks. Mm-hmm. And, and that was maybe Snooks, not Baby Snooks. Snooks, I think, would probably be a popular name, mm-hmm. but not Baby Snooks. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I think Snooks would be a good name for a dog. Snooks is a good name, but I don't know about Baby Snooks. That's, people call their dogs Baby or Snooks, but not Baby Snooks. I have spoken. I kind of agree with you, Patricia. Dennis. 
two word names. Eh, too complicated for them. It could be. Okay. Just listen to how they talk to you. Usually one word barks. That's right. Bark, bark. <laughs> or else they pee on your shoe. No, they don't. Dennis, go to your room. I will send you Damon Runyon, and you will smile because Baby Snooks will be in your mailbox probably Monday. And and Broadway soon after. Mm -hmm. He's also a hoot. I I, oh, yeah. I really do like that show. Uh, and I'm I'm just so delighted, Ron, and Hawaii. Sent I love the I love I've went to all those those great stories. They're fun. They're fun stories to listen to. They really are. They, they make your brain happy and your ears happy. Your ears smile. So I will get them out to you. You are a good person for calling. I'm happy that I gave you a new common expression to play with. And I thank you for your Christmas story. That was really neat. All right. Give us a call later if you're up. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Hey. Well, almost morning time. Three boys, four is three in the morning for Patricia. Just we're, about. We're up and about. We love it. About. We're up and about. Give us a call. We're here. Now, nobody guessed about the weight. I asked you about <laughs> a, just a bare bones basic space shuttle. Uh, I would say 200,000 tons. Tons? Tons. An actual spaceship shuttle? Tons. I think we'd better answer the phone. Hello there. Thanks for calling and get me out of trouble again. <laughs> yes, Kurt. Hi, Kurt. Hey, Kurt. How are you? Okay, I wanted you to know that I got the uh, envelope today with Fibber McGee and One Man's Family. So I got, got that today. Wow, that came fast. So thank you so much. Very welcome. Communist for the FBI. No kidding. No, I had not seen that movie, so I don't, and and I don't actually know whether Frank Lovejoy was Matt Savetic in the movie. I don't think so. I think I don't. I think that happened before he got in the uh, before he got in the pictures. Well, I don't know, but interesting. One of the interesting thing was was that Matt Savetic, or someone claiming to be Matt Savetic, was actually on the Big Show. And they had him obviously reading from cue cards or the teleprompter or whatever. Uh, very badly done and not the kind of a voice that I would expect from the kind of person that he, you know, seemed to be in I Was a Communist for the FBI. Huh? But if that was his real voice, I was actually very surprised. And I was actually surprised that the real Matt Savetic was on the big show. But, of course... You never know in those cases if it really is the person, because it's like the people in Murder by Experts, you know, not really being who they were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I, I just pulled up a piece of information here that says, I was a communist for the FBI is the name of a series of stories written by Max Savetic. Right. That's true. Uh -huh. Aired in the Saturday Evening Post. Now, writers are not always, in fact, very frequently are not the most articulate people in the world, which is really remarkable. They have a, a superb command of the language. They're bright people. I mean, you cannot write for publication and be stupid. But 
when you put them in front of a microphone, they were awful. Ellery Queen mysteries were the same way. They would pull somebody whose name you would recognize, and they were doofuses in front of the microphone. Um, yes, and as a matter of fact, the um, they said that the movie of I Was a Communist for the FBI, you know, came from the stories from the Saturday Evening Post. I'm trying to remember, Martin Graham did some research on that for me, and there's a very interesting, fascinating story that Matt Trevettick wound up being a pain in the head for the FBI. He started, he started, they thought they had a certain agreement with him, and he went off in different circles. Uh, here it is. The, the program, let's see, the radio version of I Was a Communist for the FBI consisted of 78 episodes syndicated by Frederick W. Ziv Company. To more than 600 stations, da, 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 da. Um, the program was made without the cooperation of the FBI. Real-life undercover agent Matt Svetic was portrayed by Dana Andrews. The show had a budget of $12,000 a week, a very high cost to produce a radio show at the time. The program was frequent. The program frequently dealt with great stress that Svetic was under. I'm sorry, erase that. The program frequently dealt with the great stress that Svetic was under as he covertly infiltrated local Communist Party cells. Um, created a follow-up. You saw the party. Nothing else about the FBI. It doesn't say anything about the movie either. Yeah. So Down here, um, created a separate television follow-up, I Led Three Lives, based on the life of Herbert Philbrick, right. a Boston advertising executive who also infiltrated the U.S. Communist Party on behalf of the FBI. This time, the FBI approved the show's scripts. I do remember Walden hearing about Edgar Hoover being in a tailspin. He was mad. Over this. He was, I think they, uh, he was furious. He was furious. I think they allowed him to do it to reach for the magazine if they had a certain slant or something. Uh-huh. And then when he decided to sell the property to radio and film, uh, Hoover was not happy. He was not a happy person because they just took not only liberties, but they had free reign. They, well, he, you know, Hoover was an interesting cat because he was <sighs> he was mad in radio for FBI impeaching war. He was so mad that that's when he basically authorized the use of this is your FBI, which I think is somewhat of a flat shell. Mm-hmm. But that's what he would approve. I mean, he would just go to war. Yeah, anything he approved had all of the life sucked out of it. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was so interesting, if that was really Sovetic, that uh, that he would show up on that show. I would not be surprised. It, it, you know, the, the big show pulled together some really big names and interesting people, so it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, like I said, that was just something that, that I was, that, that really, I mean, because I'm not by, surprised by many things in, in radio, but I was surprised <laughs> by that just because I, I did not expect it. That one got you. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, do you have a question that maybe I can do quick, more quickly than... Um, uh, some of our your previous callers. Let's see here. Without pulling, I, without pulling too many teeth. Without without yanking the teeth right out of your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to depend on my memory, and that's not your problem. I I bet I can do that. Um, who played who played the role of Walter Denton on Our Miss Brooks? Actually, it's not a show I listen to, but let's see. That was one of the kids, right? Right. Yeah. Um, 
No, I don't. It's not Jeff Chandler. I don't know. That was a, that was a good guess, though. How about the question that I should have marked in green because I asked it and didn't get an answer? Which character in Fibber McGee and Molly had bird watching as a hobby? Wallace Wimple. Oh, Wallace uh... Wimple. See, I knew I could do it. I knew you could do it. We did well. Which um, hunt are you going to send me on this time? Oh, I don't don't really have a hunt. Um, <laughs> I, um, yes, you do. Just a treasure hunt. Huh? Just a treasure hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you come up with the most intriguing stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, the one thing that I think, and I don't know, I don't know whether Walden has given it to you, is is a, some kind of a monitor set. Patricia has one. Oh, does she? Okay. You see, does have monitor handy because they were in That's demand last monitor week. Monitor shows, you, not not a, a physical monitor. No, no, no. I yes, I. Monitor shows, yes, I have bunches of monitor, and I'll bet you would like them. I really, yeah, because that was the kind of show that I, you know, that I I remember listening to some when I was, well, you know, in like '63 or you know, for in San Francisco. From KNBR, but that's um, not. Uh, I love the the Beacon thing, but I didn't really hear a lot of the of the monitor content. Yeah. You played that Frank Sinatra birthday thing uh, a couple of weeks ago, Walden on a Sunday. Yeah. And that was very interesting. It was interesting. I loved it. They did special features, and I have a Sinatra, Hope, Burns. They did a bunch of those, and then they would do the, the typical monitor hour. And I, and I went up to the website and listened to some of that c content up there. Yeah. And they even did a nice coverage of uh, Eisenhower funeral and things like that. So they it's did. a fabulous show. Yeah. Uh, Kurt, I recall, I hope correctly, that you can work with DVDs. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, because this is almost four gigs worth of shows, so I'll drop them all on a single DVD rather than... Oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, that would be re really nice. Um, and but I just um, also I go to this. I go to see the um, the cancer doctor's assistant person on Monday. So hopefully we'll get good news from that. Hooray! And um, I'm supposed to see the transplant person later in the month, but there still is no chance that they're going to have to do the the transplant for a while longer and in fact they're probably going to have to take out my Quentin catheter which has been in since November which is pushing the envelope of how long you can keep one of those things in there without you know having any problems so you know if ever anybody that has me in their prayers could continue doing that yeah. um, but um, you guys are doing a bang-up job and you did a great interview on the uh, on the Lum and Abner and all of that, and the the, uh, the sound on the audio panels is very nice, and those it's very, you know, it makes them very understandable, and uh, you know. You visited the, the comic website. I I think I visited it after the second the second uh, strip, but yeah, I did. So I think I've only heard two of them, but I will go back up there and and check on that lawyer thing too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that was what. That's wonderful. What what fun! They they're just irreverent fun is so much fun sometimes. Oh yes. It's just irreverence is as long as it's not hurtful. It right. is 
fun. It is, and it's fun. And uh, there must be some lawyer somewhere with a sense of humor. So. <laughs> we know some. <laughs> we know some. Well, I'm sure there are some. I'm, I can pass I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you know not all of them are are you know without totally without it. Yes. So, but I. Um, well, I I think it would be great if a lawyer would actually sponsor that uh that series. I think he would get a few few customers. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think so, too. Fun. I wanted to mention one of my favorite Christmas shows in, in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, is the um, the Grand Central Station. Great show. The Christmas Miracle, yeah. which to me is a show that if I happen to tune into it, I cannot help but leave it on, even though obviously I know it's going to happen. It's just such a, that's such a dynamite show. And think about it, everybody, that was on Saturday morning. Yeah. That, that was a Saturday morning show. And I was also listening to some of the Big Town. Mm-hmm. And actually, maybe you can help me with something, because in the in the download that you can get from the Internet, there's a couple of shows from 37 and 42. Right. And then it jumps to 48. Right. And um, do you know why it... it Sporadic. The bulk of it, uh, I think, is in pretty much two bulk. You had the 37, which featured Edgar G. Robinson. Right, but there's only, there were only two of those. Pseudo, and I seen on the list about, about 13 to 14, but I guess maybe on, only on the website, it's only a couple. But did they did they actually, were they in production from 43 to 47? I think so. 43 to 47? I think so. I didn't see a break. Maybe Patricia can look Dunning's book up, but I think it was. But, see, I don't think Edward G. Robinson oh, yeah, stayed, no, I stayed with it. I see, I think it moved from Hollywood to New York, because the 48 are all the New York actors we hear. And I think I think it only stayed in Hollywood for a few years into maybe 40, 41. And then I think it moved to, to New York. But, but one of the most interesting aspects of this show, and I don't know how many different shows this happened in, is the sidekick who in the big town shows actually didn't even get actor credit yeah and in the in the in the big town show the female that was uh Claire trevor the famous movie actress in, yes in the first ones but yeah. later but later this with a sidekick that did not get acting credit uh was mason adams you know and by law by by after all, they fought for many years to get credit. Most of those shows, they didn't get credits on. It was later the union finally got credit that it had to be mandatory. But but you know, because he plays the guy with the monkey wrench. That's true. But do you, but if you think about it, think about how many of those shows of detective and that type had uh, the the sidekicks who very actively and colorfully butchered the English language. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got. What's the guy's name from the Shadow uh, Grevy or? Yep, so, and you know who played that? Uh, no, actually, uh, Mason Adam played it for a while. Really? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. But I mean, he was you the know, cab driver. Everybody in that show. You've got the one in in Broadway is my beat. Yeah. You've got, you've got the, obviously the one in Big Town, and it it becomes kind of a, a huge, uh, you know, uh, some kind of trade in mm-hmm. these guys that, that butchered English. And they're interesting, and it's colorful, but I don't know, you know, like why they didn't get credit and, and who made it such a staple of detective shows. So I, I guess they took after Mr. King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> Poor Mr. King. 
He was, it, it still amazes me that he was one of the most popular and one of the longest running shows. I cannot, I, I, in listening mm -hmm. to some of those shows, oh, I, scenes uh, preserve us. I well, cannot believe it. Scenes preserve us, scenes. Indeed. I just, you're just going, this was popular? <laughs> You know, we had we had a really smart population at that time. But you know what? I say the same thing. Give me some brain candy and let me sit back and not have to work at a show. And that's what it was. Maybe that was the charm of everybody knew what they were getting and they just couldn't believe it. They knew what, well, even if they couldn't believe that the show was, was popular, they didn't have to work at the answer. Right. Now, they just loved it being so campy. It was campy and casual, mm -hmm. and they could let their brains out to play and not worry in a worrisome time. I mean, the World War II, before, during, and after. Yeah. Very difficult times for people. They didn't need to have their brains strained when it, they got home from work. It probably also helped that it was a Frank and Ann Hummett production, and they pretty much ruled the roots in New York radio. Uh, that's true. They had true. 130 shows in production. You're kidding me. No. I didn't know that. Man. Yeah, they were they were the major force. My goodness. Yeah. And they, <laughs> and they weren't really well. They know how to make a dollar. They, they had a lot of help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put it, they took a lot of credit, but they had a lot of help. Uh -huh. If if you look in in a lot of the Alfred Hitchcock presents, if you go to the library and look, you know, under the Alfred Hitchcock presents books. Uh huh. Each book basically had, you know, thanks to a specific person who helped do the research for most of that, of that book, and I think that that you know, that they probably had, uh, you know, lots of, of people that just weren't credited that, you know, did all the the heavy lifting. And by the way, which r reminds me, and I don't know exactly know why, of of something else. One of the, if you can look in your library and find, and they used to have these on talking books. Um, but of course, you can't get them anymore. Some of the the Playboy book of um, horror and the supernatural, or the Playboy book of humor and satire, or science fiction. Some of the best literature uh, was bought by Hefner in the 50s and 60s. Um, uh, stories that became movies. Uh, the Fly was originally in was originally in Playboy. And a lot of, uh, of great writers were, you know, had their best, their their short stories. Theodore Sturgeon had uh, at least one story that I know of in Playboy. And that was actually one of the, the best places to read good literature, strangely enough. And I don't know if he did the picking or whatever. But wow. if you go back and, and look at some of those collections, uh -huh. um, if you can get them, they are excellent collections. Hefner is a very smart businessman. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, it's it's he had if you if if you can look at you know the stories, the, it is surprising what yeah. what how well known you know these literary people were, and mm -hmm. and they were some of the best writing. And, you know, I mean, it was kind of like Norman Corwin for radio. I mean, these people were just at the top of their... Top notch, yeah. 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 So if, if you look in your library, look under the, you know, the Playboy book of, of whatever, some of, uh, of crime and, and some of these things and great stuff. Well, I unearthed 
some information about Big Town, but it's not answering any of our questions. It ran uh, from October 19, 1937 through July 2, 1942 on CBS, a 37 to 42 on CBS. And then, let's see, it ran from... 48. Oh, okay. Well, this is how yeah, common they're so right, Kurt. It did have a high initial for six years. Oh, it did, yeah. yeah. So it yeah. basically... They... 37 to 42, and then it picked up again. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hold on. Mm -hmm. 43 to 48. Okay. 48 to 51, 51 to 52. No, it did not have any hiatus. Oh, so it went straight. Okay. That's weird. Went straight through from 37 uh, through June 50. of 52. Yeah. Wow, that's... Oh, run. That's interesting. And it's, you know, one of my guests last night, going, and that's her first show. She, Her mom wrote to Edgar G. Robinson, and they invited her to be, to be in the Christmas show in 37. That's a five-year-old old girl. So my job, then, is to see if I can track down some big town shows? Uh, well, I mean, it would... It, only really kind of as a point of interest, because I think you're going to have some real difficulty... You know. Oh, uh, you said that to the wrong person. <laughs> doing that, but you know. Oh my. It is a very interesting. It's a, it's a good show. I mean, it's a you know. Good show. I've heard a couple of them, and Edward G. Robinson is not one of the actors I would choose to sit and listen to. No, wrong. I would not choose to sit in a movie or watch a rerun on television with Edward G. Robinson, but he was really terrific in that role. And the other, actually, if you want to think about Robinson, the only thing that he was really good in was he was really good in Soylent Green. In which? Soylent Green, the movie. Uh-huh. With Charlton Heston. Mm. He did some really good work. Yes, he did. I just don't appreciate him as much as other people do. Yeah. But Big Town, good show. Yeah, good show, and like I said, well done. And, and most of the... the it was formulaic, but it was it was you know a pretty good show. And I think they did it at the same theater they did Luxury Theater in that big auditorium. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah, there 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 are is an audience yeah. in the in the um, in the forty eight shows. Right. I don't think there was one in the thirty seven. The the two shows that I heard from thirty seven uh -huh. and forty two. Anyway, um, not much. Oh, the Christmas thing. Yeah, the Christmas thing. Um, the only thing that I can really kind of remember um, was that that as a, as a blind kid, obviously I didn't understand uh, lights really, mm. uh, you know, and um, and I used to think that 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 the lights were in a different place when they were lit that they that you know. That they moved somehow. Ah, okay. And, um, and I remember my parents trying to explain to me about, you know, Christmas lights and, of course, you know, Christmas trees and stuff and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, on the Fibber McGee and Molly, they, they have what really sounds like some Christmas ornaments that they that they were dropping on the floor occasionally. They really did sound like... Yes, yes, yes. There is a, an indoor show where they are decorating the tree and Fibber steps on them and sits on them and drops them. They really sounded like Christmas tree ornaments. Yes, they did. The outdoor one, when he stepped on the lights that he was putting up on the house, that sounded pretty real, too. <laughs> For anybody who has stepped on a string of lights, that one, that one made it. But I know which show you're talking about. 
and you know of course then they had the whole big thing when he's they're trying to get rid of the tree you know the running gag on that was well, we're going to get rid of this tree sometime and finally they you know that was in the 15 minute show yes yeah it was yes it was the, i can like i said the christmas stuff um that and them taking me on the on the uh, christmas cruises and stuff and uh they saw the lights and i was cold and you were out in the cold. Now, Walden had sight for about nine years, Walden? Uh-huh. Nine and a half, yep. Did you, have, what, did you ever have sight, or were you blind? No, I never did. I mm-hmm. was blind from birth. Which Day one, okay. Which is the better way to do it, really. You think? Oh, yes. If you're going to do it, it's better to be totally without than because you don't miss it. You know, I, I never missed it. I never I never wanted it back, and I never cared about it, but I... But, but, in Walden's case, if you saw until you were nine, then... I, I'm glad I had it, though. Well, okay. Yeah, so it's an issue viewpoint, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Walden has reference points, mm-hmm. so when, when we have a conversation, I'll begin to explain something. He'll say, no, I remember what it looks like. Yep. Right. So there there are some things that, so I, you know, I'm not in your head, Walden, but it sounds like it really serves you well. Oh, so it does. I, I think, to be honest with you, if we have table clock, I'm glad I had it. I'm glad the time I had it. I think a lot of people who I know who lose sight later in life, they seem to have a rougher time with it. Right, right. Okay, that's when they seem to really think they've lost the world. Yes, later in life, uh-huh. boy. Oh, boy. I think, I think kids are really adaptable. Oh, yeah. I, I So I'm extremely grateful I had it, and... Uh, and, uh, you know. and, but you were still young enough to adapt. Correct. Correct. I didn't, I, I get, when I, when the doctor told us I was going to have another surgery, um, my fifth one, I cried and that, but the reason why I cried, I didn't want to go through another eye surgery. I had five mm-hmm. within a two year period. I didn't care, you know, if I lost my sight, that wasn't that the issue. We get actually back in those days, going through the surgery and been laying on your back for months. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's... it was just. You know, I must have meant to hold you with the school practically. Right. For yes, that's yeah. especially, and, mm-hmm. and of course, it's especially difficult to explain to kids about about laying on your back because you know you don't want to jiggle anything yep. and mm-hmm. yep. not, kids aren't Just, really yep. afraid to blink and swallow. Oh yeah. Into that, but anyway, um, yeah, I can I can remember. I mean, Christmas, you know, was always uh, was always good, and and but but. Um, you know, like I said, uh, the, uh, the the cruises were were just you know <laughs> just were they cold, basically for me. you. Were, were you did you have a difficult time living through cruises that everybody else was enjoying and you had no idea what they were looking at? Right, right, and it, which would not have been so bad except that I was a, a skinny kid and it was very cold and you know. And, you know, I mean, you're out there and it's, you know, 47 degrees and you're on the ocean and, you know. And you didn't have any reason to be out there. Yeah, yeah, yep. Oh. So, but anyway. Um, well, we'll keep you in our thoughts. I do appreciate that so much. And um, like I said, I will kind of keep my, you know, mind out for things that I come across that are surprising or interesting or things that I come up with during the week. And uh, so you guys are going to be there the rest of the of the month because you mentioned that it was five Saturdays. Yep, at five Saturday we'll be uh, we'll be here on the sixteenth, 
uh, my dad's 80th birthday, so we're throwing a big birthday party. Oh, so, nice. at, but we'll have the hot place all wrapped up for push for Patricia to come by and play. Hooray! And, and on the 23rd, we'll be a couple hours late because we'll play the monthly show from Colorado, and the 30th will be at our normal 7:30. Okay. And did you say you saw you saw Norman Corwin today? Yep, he went up went up and struck a deal with him. So I was with Norman this afternoon at 101. And we worked out a deal that we're going to be producing some new, uh, producing a radio series. Wonderful. Yeah. That's... So uh, he's really excited because he gets him another project. He's working on a book right now. Do you know if there's anything that he's he's written in any accessible formats that we can get? Not at the moment. I think I don't think I don't think uh, Recording for the Blind done anything yet. I the one I I have it and the one I want to read it because in my scan I always scan it. It's, uh, Norman Corwin letters. Oh yeah. You know, think of all the people he had correspond with his oh, wife. Oh gosh. Yeah. Those would be fun to read. So that's our, we were talking today um, about another project. I said if the first one we we were talking about doing audio books of Norman's work, that's a, not part of this deal. I said I think the first one we do is Norman's letters. Oh, I think that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Extra super. Well, I'm glad he's doing so well. He is. He's, he's excited about uh, this book project he's working on and taking on the radio series and uh, uh, getting something to do uh, 101. That's great. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Okay. And remind me, I will have to talk to you one of these weeks about when I met Ray Bradbury. Oh, good. Uh, cool. Norman Corwin. Norman Corwin's best buddy. I know. That's yeah. why I brought it up. That's right. <laughs> You're on. It reminded me of it. You bet. So I'll talk to you later. You bet, Kurt. Okay, Kurt. Thanks about it. There we go. Ray Bradbury. All right. Actually, if people know, may or may not know, Ray doesn't drive. He's never driven. Oh, I didn't know that. He never he's driven. He's, he's never... writer and science fiction writer in the world, and he never drove a car? Never drove a car, never flew an airplane. And many times, his, 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 his driver has been Norman Corwin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm in Florida. <laughs> So oh that's how Frank met Norman the first time. He, they were setting up an interview to do with Ray at Norm, yeah. Frank's house. And Ray said, hey, can I bring my driver? Can my driver come and have dinner with us? You know, we're going to be a dinner yeah. class interview. Showed up, and there was Norman Corwin at the door. Isn't that a hoot? Yeah. Oh, that is really funny. Actually, one of the great stories Ray Bradbury tells. Uh, you know, because he didn't drive. Uh-huh. And he loved to go to radio shows in the 30s. Uh, uh, most of the time, he would go in his, uh, oh, what, uh, roller skates. He would get on his roller skates and go down to the different radio studio. <laughs> and he became really good friend with Luella Parson. Oh, boy. That's so, a person to be friends with. So, Luella had a limo. So, many times, he was in the back seat with Luella going to different places around town. He got in trouble one time. With Luella? With Luella. Bad thing to do. Uh-huh. He would go ahead and take, be the passenger in, in Luella's limousine, even when Luella was not in the car. Not good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> not good. Oh, boy. There's a word I'm not allowed to use on radio, but you just didn't... <clears throat> 
uh-huh. with Luella. Uh-huh. You ticked off Luella. Uh-huh. We're in doo-doo. So when he was 10 years old, he got in the doghouse with Luella, and so he lost his privilege of running around town in her limo. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Boy, one bad move, and he lost the whole... <laughs> lost uh, his wheels. Oh. Lost his wheels. Thank goodness that's the worst he did. <laughs> the bunnies are up. We are enjoying our company with each other and you. Give us a call. 714-545-2071. You know, I think we're really a truly night person. I mean, this afternoon, I woke up at 6 in the morning, and I was yawning this afternoon. But time is hit night time. We're getting close to be with Patricia. I'm bright eyed and bushy tail. Oh, just amazing. I spark up your light. Oh, you do. Oh, bless your little you heart. You do. <laughs> Don't bless my heart. Bless my little heart. <laughs> Don't bless my, my little, little heart. heart. Yeah. He was so funny in that routine. Yeah, you know, and, and, and imagine. Reminds me. Put this on the list. Yeah. People haven't asked me for Red Skelton in a very long oh, time. Oh, yes. So he's on our I've Got Lots of Them shows. Can you imagine he could not really read? He said it. Oh, you mentioned that yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, Terry Mitchell has mentioned that a few times. He wasn't the only one there. The, the whole... Roy Rogers could not read. He, yeah, Roy Rogers did not read until he met Dale. Uh-huh. So a lot of them. Just remarkable. Yeah. And the entire industry at that time was based on scripts. Was based on the written you word. Didn't have, you couldn't hop on a horse and ride away in the sunset. You yeah. had to say words. Yep, how to kick her the English language. All right, all right. You're not going to get away easy on this one. Oh, uh, you got, you have something not for me. Not 150 squillion million. Okay, so we had 200,000 tons. It was not the answer? No, it was not. The empty... Was, it, was the answer, uh, let's see, uh... Not even cheese, close. <laughs> was, it, was it pineapple, pepperoni, cheese, pizza? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. It was onions. 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 Oh, I really like pizza with onions on it. I we could be fine. You like anything else with onions? No, just put the onions on onion? and extra nope. cheese. I extra like cheese. Okay. Yeah. All right. Garlic. Hmm? You want garlic on this thing? Oh, it's in the sauce. Well, I want to just make sure. Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. Thin crust. Can you have a pizza without garlic in it? You want thin crust? Yes, please, and okay. crispy. Crispy. Ooh, good. Yes. All right. Good stuff. All right. Anybody has a, a pizza hut nearby, call it, and I'll pay the bill. No. And I'll give you my address. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop on by. Okay. Actually, there used to be radio show where, they, uh, where the personality would talk about food. Oh, it happened to the gasmen. So when they would go on through the all-night Christmas Eve, they would talk about, boy, we're hungry. And and people would actually do, drop off pizza. Food for them, pizza and thing for the all night radio. I know how to live. This is yeah. good. This hey. is good. They have cultivated. Ah. They, they cultivated a response. They I mean, this did. is like Pavlov, for I goodness know. sakes. You say, I'm hungry, and people react. Uh, this it, is good. We have lessons to learn from these boys. I know. Okay, here is the shuttle weight empty, bare bones, no payload, no fuel, no people, no nothing. No nothing. 151,351 pounds. 151,000 pounds. I was astonished. An empty 727 weighs 125,000 no pounds. No kidding. Isn't so, that amazing? So, so, just think what the structure is like. They, they think it's so big, but it's almost like as a feather, practically. Well, this is just the shuttle, not not the... 
when when you start adding the rocket boosters, yep, yep. And the fuel, yep. and the external tanks, and the 65,000 pounds in payload, by the time they get all of this stuff together, the takeoff weight is 4.4 million pounds. Oh, man. I don't think I can lift that up. That's a lot of pounds. That's a lot of pepperoni pizza. this little thing that's going to fly around in space is only 151,000. How about that? And you think of what it drops off. It drops all those rockets and things. It must be quite a jolt when it when it removes itself from that stuff. I don't know. I, it, it looks because they're both, the, the rockets and the shuttle yeah. are traveling at the same rate of speed. They just separate. They, it doesn't fall off. They separate. But, but I, I'm just thinking it must feel a lot lighter when it, when it, when it takes off. Goodness, yes. There it goes. Yes. Okay. Here's one for Walden. He's in presidential history here. Uh-oh. This is good. This, yeah. is, this has to do with the shuttle. Yes. Who was the only United States president to be present at a shuttle launch? Huh. Not a rocket or anything. This no, I'm just actual thinking. Actual shuttle. I yeah. just want to misrepresent. Uh, my 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 answer would be George Herbert Walker Bush. Not too far off. It was uh, Bill Clinton. Was it Billy? Yeah. Bill and Hillary Clinton was there as well. Watch John Glenn's return to space. Oh, I forgot John went up. 29th, 1998. I forgot. I mean, I knew he went back yeah. to space, but that would have been the natural. I've forgotten about him going up in space until you mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with him being a senator and the whole kitten caboodle there, yeah. that would have been the logical choice. But I was really surprised he didn't make a bigger dent in the presidential races the time he threw his hat in the ring. Yeah. Me wonder sometimes when you get people who seem so qualified, so smart, mm -hmm. so on top of everything. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are smart enough not to run. But he did. I don't mean that in a in a, in a sad yeah. sense. When you look at what the presidency mm -hmm. requires of a single person, sometimes the smart people choose not to run. True, but I'm thinking he ran. But didn't really get anywhere. No, he didn't. And I mean, he didn't. He didn't throw himself in a thousand and ten percent. He made a showing. He was good. He had a following. But you know, it, it was like his heart was in it, and then it fell out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just didn't. Didn't. Now here's a really nifty piece. I'm on. I'm on to the shuttle this week. This is it. This is Patricia's stuff. Yeah. Well, it, I think the shuttle is really important this week because it went up for the last time. Uh huh. Well, the last time as a government program. A former NASA administrator, Richard H. Truly, was also a backup crew member for the first space shuttle mission. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty, that's pretty nice. How, how neat to have a guy at the head mm -hmm. organization who, honest to goodness, knows. The honest to goodness knows. Now here, here we are. This is a history question for Walden. Yes. The Johnson Space Center yes. in Texas. Yes. It is referred to as Mission Control. Mm -hmm. It was originally called the Manned Spacecraft Center. When was it renamed? 
Lyndon B. Johnson Space Center. Probably 73. It was 73. How did you know that? So that's when Johnson passed away. I know. It was like less than a month later. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I was there. Uh, because as a kid, when I was seven years old, I went went to Texas to visit my uncle at the time in 72 and 73. And I seem to remember going through these exhibits, space exhibits, with the pictures of the monkey, you know, and the little capsule and different uh-huh. things like that. So I bet I was there. I don't know why else in Texas would it be such a detailed history of the space program. Well, the Space Center was there. Mm-hmm. It was mission. It was known as Mission Control, and it was Manned Space Center, MSC. It was just renamed. And I thought it was astounding that it was less than a month after he died that they renamed it. Didn't be Johnson Space Center. I would think the guy would have to be dead at least a year. I know. But he died on um, he died just second. Not too long after Truman. He, I mean, Truman passed away. He attended the funeral, and he was gone within a few weeks. My goodness. Well, Johnson died January twenty second, and the Space Center was a done deal on February nineteenth. Boy, they didn't wait. They didn't. They just waited three weeks. Here you go. Oh man, I mean, but you had, he had to die first, so I don't think he got the better end of the deal here. He was an interesting character. Yes, he was. Did you have you know you recall the story how he made contacts in Congress when he ran for, for when he was a member of the Congress? I can't conjure it. I know I've heard it. Yeah. But tell, tell, tell. He was a school teacher. Everybody. Lyndon Johnson was a school teacher. And so when he ran for Congress, he got in. And what made Johnson very unique was his networking skills. Well, he stayed at a, at a residency that had a communal bathroom. And he knew all the congressmen were pretty much staying at this hotel. So he made sure he pretty much lived in the bathroom. <laughs> He made sure he went down there every time to wash his hand, and that's where he met and networked with all the congressmen and introduced himself and getting their name, figure out all about them before they had a, before they got into Congress of freshmen. What a smart rat. Uh-huh. I yeah. mean, you're a captive audience when you're, you know? I mean, you don't have too many places to go. Uh, when you meet somebody you don't want to have to talk with, and that's where it is, uh-huh. you're stuck. Uh-huh. You're stuck. Uh-huh. Too much fun. Yep. Okay, 714-545-2071. I will give you some questions, and these are repeats now because everything that I'm giving you has been out there for a while. Um, somebody, and I think it was probably Walden, helped with Mr. Peavy's first name in The Great Gildersleeve, but I'm going to leave that one out there because it's still in green print. So that means... I either missed making it red, which means it was answered, or it's still a valid question, so I'll treat it like a valid question. I have a new trivia question for everybody. Me too, or just them? For, well, I think you know the answer. Okay, then I'm disqualified. No, I think you should give the answer. <laughs> what? My trivia question. How many different colors of ink Patricia had to make up her trivia question? Oh, I know the answer. See? <laughs> And I, I, I have given out the answer. That's what I mean. I think, be a, I think that's a great trivia question. It's a great trivia okay. question. Okay, okay. Okay, in The Great Gildersleeve, what was Mr. Peavy's first name? Mm-hmm. This next one is a biggie. I'll do a double show. Oh! 
this one. I mean, this one is really hard. And it's been hanging around at least for six months. This is the, dub longer. This is the double dip with chocolate, everybody. This has got the whipped cream and everything on it. Whatever you want, you get. What was the name of the character played by Ransom Sherman on Fibber McGee and Molly? Good. And it was one of my favorite characters on that show. I just loved that guy. Okay, then we get down to, where's the next green one? In Dragnet, who was Frank Smith? Mm -hmm. And in Fibber McGee and Molly, who was Mabel Toops? Mm -hmm. And which cowboy rode the horse Thunder? Mm -hmm. And who won? Who rode Tony the Wonder Horse? Mm -hmm. And this one is hard. I think maybe Nolan will know this one. And Harwood. We haven't heard from Harwood. Oh, Where no. are you, Harwood? He's playing hooky. Is he okay? Oh, I think he's fine. Okay. Let's hope. Um, Johnny Mac Brown. Mm -hmm. Nolan wrinkled his nose and said, you never heard of Johnny Mac Brown? Harwood said, you never heard of Johnny Mac Brown? Okay, I now know there is a Johnny Mac Brown. I'll bet you don't know what the name of his horse was. I have another trivia question I'll throw out, and Patricia can take a okay. crack at this. Okay. What radio detective first name was Simon? Oh, I know that one. Oh, okay. Everybody knows. Okay. Everybody knows that. All right, give it. Oh, Simon Templer. Very good, Patricia. And because he was Simon Templer, mm -hmm. how did he get, how did that play into giving him his nickname? What was his nickname? Well, his name was The Saint. Right. The Saint, S-A-I-N-T. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did Simon Templer? Simon, S-I-T-E, I don't know. The abbreviation for saint, when you're talking yeah, about this or oh. is ST. Nice. The initials are nice. ST. So he got called. Have you ever read any of the Simon Templar novels? I have not. Mm, okay. Ah. You? Nope. Nope. I didn't even know they were out in novels. Yes. That's what I, I think it started from book form first. Oh, I've lived such a sheltered life. Oh, you've done really well living only in oh. three places. I don't wanna. Yes, you hey. do. You want? You mean you don't want to live in three places? Oh, I'm sure. Whatever. Okay. I'm just gonna build in my magical forest. I know. Oh, you? I'll live in my magical I forest. I know it. By you? Yes. Okay, Simon Templer. We want the saint. Yes, Leslie Charters wrote the series. There is actually a Leslie Charters website. Um. Uh, but the saint. Let's see here. What what what's the first two names? Uh, novels. Let's see. Mhm. Mm saint. Novels. The saint. The saint was the title of a mystery novel by Burl Barrer. Does that sound right? No. I thought, was was the, I thought the author was Leslie Charteris. That's not right. The Saint. Leslie Charteris, I thought, with the author. Well, let's see if I put in Leslie, what it's called. Leslie Charteris Books. And there are lots of them. History of the Saint Books. All right, so now I have more homework to do. I have to go read some Saint Books, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And but you got to hmm? you you finish up all your rexed out books first. 
I know. I know. And actually, you know, I'm doing really well with them. And I also found some really well done, very well done. Mm -hmm. John Moffat uh, is the narrator of some Agatha Christie novels. Uh He does a wonderful job. There are some books that I have been putting off reading. I just plugged my ears in the other night and fussed around and did some other stuff while I was listening to the show, and I've been through two books now. It's him superb as opposed to just good is that he can adapt the different speech patterns of various characters and change the tone of his voice. So if he's speaking the role of a very prissy woman, he'll raise his voice and be very clipped with his voice. When he talks about Monsieur Poirot, who is the detective character, he can speak with a French accent. So it just gives life to the book at least as much life as if I sat and read it as a book. Really cool. So I'm happy. I'm a happy camper. Nice. Yeah. I'm always happy to make Patricia happy. Oh. If Patricia happy, then I'm happy. So. I'm so spoiled. Good. All right. Good. July. Yes. That's some really good stuff in July. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready for this? What do you got? Do we meant to do this, or do we need to go to some Stump Walden questions? Oh, I think uh, let's you, do July. You, you, you do whatever Patricia Little Heart wants to do. Well, why don't I give you some questions, mm-hmm. and then maybe we could play a show and come back? Yep, sounds good to me. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. Here, I have a brain teaser, a baseball question, a Stump Walden question, and a Walden's history question. And all that rolled into one question, everybody. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. Uh-uh. Which one would you like first? Let's go for the brain teaser first. The brain teaser. Let's do these in order. How many times... Now, these are all... The brain teasers are all kind of tricky, you know? How many times can you subtract the number five from 25? Five. No. Just once? Just one time. Most, you remove the number five and you're left with two. Yeah, that, that typical wall into five for 25, 20, and five for 20 is Yeah, well, you know, I, I did. I went through all of that. That's wall into logical oh, mind. There's something wrong here. And and then I said, no, nah, you take it away once. And then when I checked, that was the answer. See, oh, I, see <laughs> Patricia knows me. She knows I always go for the, the logical way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And okay. I don't ask you anything that I haven't answered. <laughs> All right. So you're a faithful, I, you're a faithful and true friend. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you want baseball, Stump Walden, or history? Baseball. Baseball. All right. Joe Nuxhall. Yes. U X H A L L. Correct. Well, I just won't even bother to answer. Okay. <laughs> he was fifteen. He, he was a fifteen-year-old pitcher in 1944. Wound up being a longtime broadcaster for the Cincinnati Reds. Well, could we go to the Stump Walden question now? <laughs> we can go to the history question, whatever you want to do. He was the youngest pitcher in Major League Baseball history. In 19- he pitched his first game mm-hmm. when he was 15 years, 10 months, and 11 days old. He pitched it against the St. Louis Cardinals, 
and I don't know if St. Louis won or um, if the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Reds won. Yeah. But you're right. He joined in 1944. He was pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. That's right. Well, I thought I had you on that one. You know what else? That was, that was an interesting. Yeah. That was an interesting year. 44 was. 44 because the St. Louis Brown had a one-arm baseball player. They were not the only ones who had a one-armed pitcher. Mm-hmm. So one, one of the teams had a one-armed pitcher. Who, 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 who? Go ahead, tell well, me. Well, I think, I don't remember the guy's name at the moment, Peter or Paul, uh, but he was a one-armed outf- outfielder. It was an outfielder. Yeah. And there have been a couple of more modern... Well, of course, I, I remember Jim Abbott, who I saw his first spring training game when he became an angel, who just had one hand. Mm-hmm. He was born with one hand. Picked really well. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to go for history? Sure. All right. We're into, we're into the Christmas spirit here. I'm ready. Okay, this is... All right, now hold on. Let me, I'm doing... Oh, i got to do this right so I don't give you the answer. Of a white Christmas. Um... Just like the ones I you to know. Okay. Who was the first president to decorate the White House Christmas tree? Well, his wife put it in office first. That's who they give credit to some of the historians. So I would say it's uh, Benjamin Harrison. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, goodness gracious. I looked in a couple of places, and what came up was Franklin Pierce in 1856 no for a group of Washington Sunday school children. I wouldn't be surprised. Especially for the children. Does that sound... I wouldn't... That, that sounds that sound very probable. Sure, I'll buy that. Okay. I'll buy that. Hey, you know, Benjamin Harrison, his name comes up. Yep, his, his, his wife gets a lot of credit. They had the first... And she was the founder of D.A.R. Ah. The Daughters of the American, American Revolution. Revolution. Yep. Yeah. Yep. How about that? Which my mom is a proud member of. I know. Yeah. Well, you have to you have to work hard to prove your metal and prove your information before you're. I mean, this is not an open season. It, it is absolutely true. Pay your dues and walk in. Yeah, it's true. All right. Then, then there was a, a second part of a question. The first national Christmas tree mm-hmm. lighted in 1923. Well, no, 21. Oh, you were right. 23. Yeah, I'm sorry. Bye. Well, that have been Calvin Coolidge. You're amazing. And you just know some stuff. Just, just a little bit of stuff. You're amazing. I take after you. <laughs> I'm amazing, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're going to do... Let me see this. Yeah, I guess it's my stump calling question now. That's right. I'm going to do this later. So I, have to, I have to do stuff so I don't get all messed up. Well, she do her stuff. Well, though. By the way, that's the secret word, everybody, just in case you don't know. <laughs> it's, it's the magic word every week. That's right. Okay, stump. here is the Stump Walden question, and oh. I swear I've got you on this one. I swear I've got well, you. Well, last week you helped me out by giving me a Frank Brzee Frank Brze question, practically, you know. What? Well, oh, you asked me a dangerous assignment, and I said, well, you know who owns that, yeah. I mean, okay. as soon as you said it, I thought, you dummy. <laughs> All right, this one is not a Frank Brzee question. You sure? Are we ready? Yes. Two actors mm-hmm. had the role of Jungle Jim's voice in the radio series. Who were those two actors? Uh, I want to say Matt Crowley. Mm-hmm. And... 
I don't think I'm going to get the... Yeah, I don't think I'm going to figure out the other one, but let me Apparently think. Matt Crowley was a pretty popular guy. Oh, yeah, he was, uh, he was Mark Trails, uh, with Ben Cooper, Point Scotty, he did a lot of radio. He did, um, I think he, yeah, I think he was Dick, I think he was part of Dick Tracy for a while. Here, here is, it will blow your socks. Okay. Blew my mind. Yeah. Gerald Moore. No kidding. I would never get that in a kidding. million years. Gerald Moore, of wow. course, is our Philip Marlowe. Wow. And he will always be Philip Marlowe. I don't care how many shows we find him in. He did Archie Goodwin for quite a few of the Nero Wolf shows, but he will always be Philip Marlowe. To us. There is his name. Matt, you know, Crowley, Matt Crowley was the first. He was there for two or three years, and right. then Gerald Moore took over. I, you know, hearing Gerald Moore and that Johnny Dollar that you sent me still sounds like Philip Marlowe. I know. His voice is, mm -hmm. is so distinctive. Uh -huh. Or was. I, you know, he's, and he's another one. I have to put him on my I wish I could have talked to him list. Um, I just think he walked around in the radio studio with a cape. With a cape? Yeah, according to the Radio Stars book, that's where I think they give him credit for that. Oh my gosh, I never would have guessed that from his voice. Yeah. A swagger uh -huh. would have fit. You know, just kind of swinging the hips like a cowboy with a with a, a strut. You yeah, know? Yeah. I don't. I think females wouldn't mind going out with that voice. You know? I wouldn't have minded going out. With that <laughs> voice. I would have had a little bit of trouble going to the movies with a caped crusader. But um, you know, it, it it would be a little rough out there. He was. You know, that's amazing. I just never would have guessed that. Yeah. Never would Maybe have. Maybe that's the fellow radio actor said. You know, he walked. He had a cape on. You know, but but I, I seen. Was it, it a, was it like a, a caped crusader, like a Superman cape, or was I don't know Sherlock Holmes cape? I don't know. Well, you're gonna have to find out. I guess Who told so. you that? I have to go back to different Spurvac interviews over the years. Uh, I collected a ton of Spurvac interviews. Yeah. It's buried in those tapes. Guy that knew Joe Moore. It's sort of like um, Han Connery. You know, Han Connery had, he wore green socks and red socks. You told me yeah. that. What a smart man. And then they asked him, him, and he said, well, I also have another pair at home. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this interesting? Uh -huh. You know, I can never match my socks, and I've got another one of these right in my drawer. <laughs> Good stuff. Yes. All right. I've got some other stuff, but maybe yeah. we could play a show first. We can do that. We'll give people one more chance, 714-545-2071, Stump Me, Stump Walden, Stumping Me is easy. Stumping Walden is not very easy at all. It's very hard to stump Walden. But Patricia can do it. Anybody can do it, it's my Patricia. <laughs> it's like digging the cave <laughs> deeply enough. You know, I, I, I swear, if, you ask, if you want to know what Patricia does full-time, now you know. She spends the entire week looking for stuff for Walden to do on Saturday night. Not quite, but pretty close to it. What? That's what you do full time. Look for stuff Walden stuff. My God. What? Don't you? Yes. Uh, well, I spend a little bit of time. A little I bit? Get, I get an idea in my head and say, okay, this is... <laughs> I'm, I'm only 50%. I got a 50% this week. I'll be happy with it. I'll be happy with it. I'd it's amazing how much 
each of us, each of us others are part of each other's life. Gee, well, I will be very happy. I'm astounded that you knew Matt Crowley was was one of them, but Gerald Moore, I don't think anybody nope. would have guessed nope. Gerald Moore as Jungle Jim. Not me. No way. I probably would still think he felt Marlowe in, in the jungles. Oh, now I'm going to have to go out and get some Jungle Jim shows mm-hmm. and listen. I'll have to go back and confirm the dates. It was, I believe Crowley was there only three years. How long did the Jungle Jim series run? Well, the one time for me was right in the mid-30s, and so I think those are Matt Crowley's. I need also like 32 or 35 to about 38 or so. Yeah. So they must have come with Joe Moore later. He was. He was the second one. He was the second one. And apparently for a couple of years, it wasn't like he was winding so, up the show in a couple of months. Like, so he must have been in New York for a while. Again, I don't think Jungle Jim ever made the Hollywood. Hmm. Poor Jim. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we do a show? Let's do a show. Would you like to do the Heavenly Days or the Christmas show? Well, I have the Christmas show queued up. Hooray. All right. Okay. I've got... And the fun thing is, the CD I have it for many people who know... Oh, here's a great trivia question. For many years, Patricia, what was the show that followed Phil McGee and Molly? Oh, my goodness. Um, gee, it was one that really... (laughs) Enjoyed a great lead-in. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. The Bob Hope Show. So, on the dish, I have oh, actually the oh, Bob... I remember the, that. They had a, a Bob Hope Pepsodent. Yeah. So, I actually had the Fibber and... On the dish, I could grab a Fibber and Bob back-to-back on the same date, same time. You know, 6.30 to 7 or whatever. Very good. Yeah. I recall when one of the... One of the shows had three sisters who showed up at the door, two sisters showed up at the door. One of them said, my name is Faith, and this is my sister Charity. <laughs> and he said, where's Hope? And I, I don't know if it was Molly. Molly must have said, he, uh, perhaps Fibber did. Um, He'll be on next week. And got him. Yeah. Was, the, was the comment, and uh-huh. got Hope. Uh-huh. So it was, it was kind of fun. I just thought I should have realized that. Shame on me. Didn't remember. Yeah, you okay. did good. You did good. We have yes. the show Christmas Present. That's the way it's listed here. What do you have it listed as? I, that's what I just grab it by the date, 20, December 23, 1941. Okay. Yeah. Um, the fair warning label on radio shows is that the names of the shows are not necessarily verified or verifiable. Because over the years, people will take copies and say, well, that's a really dumb name for the show. I wouldn't even recognize that. And they'll change the name of the show. So the name that is tacked onto the show I listen to is called Christmas Present from December 23, 1941. Zibber cannot keep his paws off a Christmas present that he manages to open despite Molly's protests. And this is still two days before Christmas. They find a set of chimes in it, but they don't know who sent it. Teeny is in this one, and she is at her best. She is in the miserable toe business. <laughs> she is selling miserable toe <laughs> and is trying to sell it to Fibber. Um, and and it's, it's good. I just love little Teeny, miserable toe. She knew what she was selling. If people, um, don't, know, hmm? if people don't know, Teeny lives with Patricia. Teeny and Patricia are fast friends. That's right. I know it. I know. I know it. Mm -hmm. Fibber made a comment 
And I'm going to ask when we get back if anybody knows what he was talking about. Fibber says she'll probably wind up selling a snood to Santa for his beard. I want to hear from somebody who knows what a snood is. S-N as in Nancy, O-O-D, snood. The Great Gildersleeve is in this one, which I think is wonderful. Now, this is from December 23, 1941. He left the show at the beginning of this season. So Fibber and Molly came back on September 30th, and Gildy had already gone. But he came back for that show to say, I came to tell you goodbye, but I'm already gone. And now it's Christmas, and he's back again. And I, I didn't recall that he had come back twice before the end of the year. Did you remember that? Uh, I forgot the first time in September 30th, but I remember they sure had a running gag between the two shows over this gift. Well, uh, they did, and yeah. the lawnmower uh-huh. um, came into play in uh-huh. many different places. And, yeah. of course, for the whole time that Gildersleeve was there, the lawnmower fights were going on. But I didn't recall that this was the particular Christmas that he had come back mm. to visit with. But anyway, Gildy is here. He's got his own show. He started it on August 31st. He came back on September 30th to tell Fibber and Molly that he wasn't there anymore, which is kind of cute. And now he's back. Um, and we're, we're only three weeks, we're about three weeks away from Pearl Harbor on this one. Yep. And already there was an ethnic reference that got applause from the audience. Yep. So you can listen for that one. So we have Christmas present from December 23rd, 1941. And when the show is over, we will be back. When I was still a half-grown kid of a boy, nothing like not hitting the right CD button, but this should be right. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with songs by Martha Tilton and the King's Men, and music by Billy Mills. The show opens with Love Is. you can be sure of during these next few days, friends and neighbors will be dropping in unexpectedly for visits to talk over holiday plans and parties. Will your home always be ready for them, floors gleaming with beauty, tabletops and woodwork spotless? If you practice protective housekeeping with genuine Johnson's Wax, it probably will be. Daily housework is reduced to a minimum when these surfaces are Johnson Waxed. Rooms are quickly tidied up, and properly waxed floors never really lose that richly polished look that good housekeepers so much admire. When you wax your floors, furniture, and woodwork, you not only protect them against scratches, dirt, and wear, you not only save yourself hours of work, but you also win the compliments and praise of your family and friends for the beauty that genuine Johnson's Wax adds to your entire home. When you consider the low cost of those advantages, is it any wonder so many good housekeepers just couldn't keep house without this famous wax polish? 
But don't be satisfied with anything but the original and genuine Johnson's Wax in paste, liquid, or cream wax form. This is the time of year when a man who can't suppress his curiosity should be handcuffed and blindfolded. For instance, a package came for the McGee's today, which is almost certainly a Christmas present. And we invite you to an interesting discussion between Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, but Molly, look, well, we don't know it's a Christmas present. Just the same, McGee. We're not going to open it before Christmas. Oh, but sweetheart, there's nothing... You know, Molly, it was nice to see old Gildersleeve again. Well, nobody'd think so the way you two argued that. Oh, we were just kidding. I wouldn't really fight with him. <laughs> I should hope not. <laughs> He's a much bigger man than you are. <laughs> That's why it's so easy to get under his skin. He's got so much of it. <laughs> Good night and a Merry Christmas. Yes, and a Happy New Year, too. Good night, all. <laughs> This is Marla Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. With automobile production again restricted, it's very important to take better care of your car. Don't let the finish deteriorate. Make it last. Keep it new looking with Johnson's Car New, the sensational auto polish that both cleans and wax polishes with one application. Two jobs in one, in less than half the time they used to take. For the sake of your car and for your own pleasure, buy a can of Johnson's Car New right away. It's spelled C-A-R-N-U. This is the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company. For the safety of your smile, use Pepsodent twice a day. See your dentist twice a year. The Pepsodent Show, starring Bob Hope. <laughs> We'll soon come down the stack Till he gets there, we hit the air And Bob Hope sends a crack Ah, thank you so much How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Christmas Tree Hope Telling you to use Pepsodent And your teeth will be evergreens <laughs> Well, I'm tired tonight I've been wrapping packages all day Every year I like to send away the product That California produces most of that year one year I sent away oranges, another year lemons. But this year I'm having a little trouble. How do you wrap up a Douglas bomber? <laughs> and I've been wrapping packages. And yesterday I went to the post office to mail And there's a little bit of the Bob Hope show put in that was fault after Fibber McGee and Molly both heard on a two tonight almost 70 years ago, December 23, 1941. Merry Christmas, Walter. Merry Christmas, Patricia. Merry Christmas. Everybody. You know what? Because we're getting close to the anniversary of the great girl's we song is celebrating his 70th birthday. We need to get Shirley Mitchell on here pretty quick. Oh, that would be nice. We should do that pretty quick. That would be nice. That's, that's next month. I know. End of next month. That's what I was thinking when you were making August 30th. And I said, well, does August 31 fall on a Saturday? I said, well, the 28th does. That's pretty close. The 28th is close enough. Pretty close. Um. Well, the 28th in August is a Sunday. Yep. Oh, no, 27. I don't know. Well, we could do it maybe the following Saturday on the, in September. In the, on the 3rd, maybe. Or 
I have to book her because she might be going out on a date. You know, that's what happened the last time. <laughs> she is such a special lady. Uh-huh. Such a special lady. Yeah. Okay. You have to hurry up and call because it's 4.35 here already. Patricia's looking one, four, at... Patricia's five, looking, four, five. Patricia's looking at the, at the sun put before you know it. So once the sun comes up, that's when her ducky come out to play. So. I know. Walden was talking to me one night. He was just going on and on. I said, Walden, it's daylight here. The sun is coming. <laughs> <laughs> he still had three hours to go. That's true. We had sunshine here. So, we always leave Patricia with her duckies. That's the, that's the world. Oh, of my ducks are so happy. We had rain, rain, rain yep. this week. We yep. had at least four straight days of rain. There might have been a fifth in there. I lost count. Uh, the kind of rain that we don't normally get. In the summertime, we get what I call our hit-and-run storms. Mm -hmm. the, the thunderstorms roll in. Sometimes they come in from the Gulf. Most of the time, they come in from the Everglades. They roar through. You get a half an hour of crash, bang, boom, and really good stuff. And that's the end of it. But this time, there was a storm center that was offshore, and the rain bands, they weren't really rain bands, but the rain spread out far enough that we had really nice rain for at least four days, which was wonderful. And I looked out, and our ducky lake is darn near going to be full this year when the rains continue in the summertime. Our ducks are so happy. Hooray! They're out there flapping their wings and tapping their little beaks at each other. Have you named them yet? Have I named them? Mm -hmm. I can't even tell them apart. Fine mother I am. Well, you know, you can always change the name after you find out. Well, they all go by the name of Duck. Perfect. And they're milling around on the lawn and where they're near the sidewalk. You know those, those darn things? They think they own the place probably because they do. Yep. They, they walk across do. the parking lot like they the driveways. Like they really own the stuff. Like they really own it. You have to stop and wait for the... <laughs> get to the other side, and they have to nibble along the way. It really is a hoot. We have a squirrel that does the same thing. Wildlife. And I'm so good. I mean, I stop and I wait for them to cross. Mm -hmm. So, I get the old saying, uh, what's the old joke? Was the, uh, it just, what, what does a chicken cross the road? I guess Get to the other side? Yeah, right. so I guess either squirrels or duckies over in Florida. Well, whatever they're doing, they're doing it at their own pace. Uh-huh. They are taking their time. So anyway, on the Great Gildersleeve. Now this is, help me with this. 714-545-2071. I stepped on Patricia when she was giving out the number, so I'm sorry about that. Well, that's okay. Now you stepped on me when I have a question. Well, you took a no. big air, big gap of air there for Josh a second. Josh I know. Bibber and Molly got the chimes, the door chimes from the Johnson Wax people. Mm-hmm. Did the rest of the show, or the shows, the next time they showed up, like that would have been December 30th, did they have door chimes? Yes. And it was forevermore? Nobody for, knocked on the door anymore? Forevermore. I think Hazley did my her a door knock, but I don't think so. Quoth the Raven, nevermore. Well, you remember the time when Fibber took the front door off, especially when he... Oh, dear me, yes. <laughs> so, your people had to say, hey, can I come in? So, the, the, the door chime wasn't really available then. That's true, and you couldn't knock on a, I guess he hung a blanket. Yes, Molly, I think that was Molly's idea he or something. hung a blanket. He was just going to put the weather stripping on yes. the board, but. <laughs> Perfect timing. Chopping it down. Oh, Perfect timing. 
Do we know people like that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think we all have people like that uh-huh. in our lives. Uh-huh. It's part of what makes all of these shows so much fun. Donnie was talking about that earlier when he said everybody has a Cedric Wehunt in their lives. You know what? I, the way he would describe me, I think those are the people, and I think you would fill in, and I think those are the people who have the big heart. Uh-huh. You know, they're the one that will stick with you. They're the faithful one that will do anything for you, stick by you, be the first one on the call. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes, they yep. will They will be your friend. Yep. They don't expect anything nope. in return. Nope. And friendship is a gift to them. Uh-huh. It's not an expectation. It's a gift. I would like a Cedric in my life. I think everybody should have a Cedric. You know, that's the greatest friendship of all when it's a true gift to another friend, you know? Mm-hmm. No, there's no expectation. No expectation. No, ex- which I think is great. Just there. Mm-hmm. And that's what Cedric brought to the show. Yep. He was, he was fun. He loved both Lum and Abner. Mm-hmm. Squire Skimp would get him every once in a while, but um, the... Have you listened to the Lemon After series, the whole thing? I have not. You have not? Mm-mm. There was one point when Lemon Abner owned a movie theater, and Squire Skimp opened a movie theater as competition. <laughs> yep. It was really well done. It was a fun thing. And Squire is... I'm stretching my brain here because it's been quite a while since I've listened to this particular sequence. But as I recall... Squire arranged to have someone fall inside the darkened movie house that Lemon Abner owned and put the person up to sue Lemon Abner. So they were facing a lawsuit and couldn't run their own movie house, and Squire Skimp was appropriating people, like Grandpappy, who played the organ, and Cedric... I can't recall what he did. He might have been an usher or a ticket taker. And it, it it was a difficult thing for Cedric because he had to earn a living, but he didn't want to leave his friends, and he wound up working for Squire Skimp. And it, it was, you know, it was almost heartbreaking to know that he had to leave friends in order to survive. Yeah. But he went back to visit his friends because they were so important to him. So it was really an interesting take on human nature. Mm-hmm. It was really a great show for human nature. Everybody has a Cedric Wehunt. Everybody has a Lum. Everybody has an Abner. And goodness gracious, the world is full of Squire Skins. Wasn't Donnie's Abner, the honk, so good? Uh-huh. Wasn't that show good? That was so good. Uh-huh. Honk. 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 Good old Abner. It was so good. And he was the one with the common sense. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Okay, July. July. July is National Cell Phone Courtesy Month. Oh, perfect. Isn't that wonderful? We actually have for the whole month cell phone courtesy, which means no talking in restaurants, Mm -hmm. no be on the phone while you're driving, Mm -hmm. don't answer the phone when you're having a conversation with somebody, turn your phone off in church. This is good stuff. I think that's commendable. Uh-huh. National Cell Phone Courtesy Month. Good. Okay, now, July 9th, which is now over and done with on both coasts here. Yeah. Nonetheless, important to note that July 9th was National Sugar Cookie Day. 
Uh, I like sugar cookies. That's a good day. Very, very noteworthy. Mm -hmm. Now, the 10th, which is Sunday, right. is National Teddy Bear Picnic Day. Oh. That's great stuff. We love teddy bears around here, so that's, oh, that's very yeah, we're, cool. we're big teddy bears. Yes, 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 yes definitely. That's good in with the, with the Saturday night show. Yeah. And July 11th is Cheer Up the Lonely Day. Nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. I wonder who thinks these things up. Well, and, and, and you can you imagine the process? Somebody comes up with the idea, and then the guy gets Congress to probably pass a slogan or a, a resolution to now, do this. This is an official national month, um, I don't know, National Boy Scout Week or yeah, so, things like that. Yes, they, they have to have congressional approval, right. as I understand. That's what I think. But on the on the regular stuff, I mean, like National Sugar Cookie Day, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I guess you would have to do that. You'd have to send it to somebody in Washington and have it approved. Yeah, I mean, how can you say that the official National Sugar Co Cookie Sugar Day? Sugar cookie. Somebody's going to have to do some homework, Patricia. I wonder who it's going to be. Oh, well, we can always look for a, a don't, a, 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 hey, we need a, we need a research assistant for this Saturday night show. You can apply. Research assistant? What yeah. an interesting and intriguing. Uh, if you like to apply for this job, I, I can guarantee you the, the hours can be the same as we work, and the pay can be exactly the same. You know. We'll put extra zeros. Yes, yes. For yes. So you need to be, if you want to volunteer to be a research assistant. Dennis, where are you when we need you? <laughs> yeah. you, can, you, can, you can email, you can email your resume at, to floridawriter at hotmail.com. Uh, so we, we have to, you know, go through to see if you're qualified. The, the qualification, the, the most critical qualification are yep. three words. Yep. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> All we need. <laughs> if you've got those those three words in your heart and in your mouth, and you want to say them, that's fine. Dennis, where are you when we need you? He'd make a great researcher. He would be perfect for the job. I think so. I think so too. Okay, so we've got July 11th for Cheer Up the Lonely Day, and I just think that is such a wonderful and sweet sentiment. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean. When, when you see, say lonely, you know, you don't have to be all alone to be lonely. That's true. There, there could be people who are with a crowd and still be very lonely. You think we have somebody applying for the job? I hope it's Dennis. Hello there. <gasps> I think it's going to be somebody we know. Well, we're on a couple seconds delay. This is just the USA. Oh, trying to... Tone yourself down there? Turn your uh, computer down, Dennis. Speakers. Speakers might help. Hey, he did it. Yes, I did it. You did, did it. Uh, You're amazing. Are, are you willing to be a research assistant? No, I just have four words. <laughs> Say what? Won't do it. <laughs> wait, wait. You have what? I have four words. I won't do it. I won't do it. Oh. That is just too hard of a job. I, I think you are not qualified for this very special position, sir. <laughs> um, you won't, you won't do it, huh? Nah. Okay. Well, it's, while it's really an interesting challenge, 
I am retired now. Yes. And what retired means? But you can you can always re-untired. See now, you know, retired is perfect. That means that you're not. You're now, not... I mean, Norman Corwin's 101. He's going back to work. Nine to five. I mean, you don't have to do that, and you're not out in the traffic every day. This is very good. You're the perfect candidate. What I love about being retired is going out on my deck in the morning and listening to those lovely birds sing and watching everyone else, <laughs> their cars, and leave. Do you have a laptop? Of course. Well? Well? Convertible to the deck? <laughs> yes? Okay, never mind. Dennis is not our candidate. We have to... We have to do some recruiting here. Mm. Yeah, you do. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> Go to your room, Dennis. And I bet and, and I bet that no one wants to work as hard as you do. Well, I'm not asking them to work as hard as I do. This is an assistant. Merely an assistant. This is good, right? I know. You want someone to give orders to. I do. <laughs> Yes, this is correct. Is there anything else? <laughs> and and you have you have no one to give orders to. Mm, no. Uh, the duckies don't pay attention to her when they when she tells them to move. No, they don't. No. I just say hi, ducks. <laughs> yeah. I heard about your ducks, and you know what? Ducks hate rain. They do. Oh, yeah. My little guys out there are flapping their wings and just wiggling their tails. They're having a grand time. Do they really hate rain? Yeah, they they really don't like getting hit in the head with a bucket of water. Oh, for pity's sakes, it's not hail. <laughs> well, but think about how big they are. Yeah. A, a raindrop is like you getting a bucket of water on the head. Tidy places out there if they don't want to sit out and they really do like it though. Well, what they like is uh, having nice ponds to swim in, of course, but. Sir? They really don't like rain. Do you have any relatives who are ducks? <laughs> uh, we raised ducks when I was a kid. And I'll tell you, when it rained, they all ran into the duck coop. They, were they didn't go stand out they were, the rain. They were, they were just chicken ducks. <laughs> On a must, face of rain, they... New variety of duck. They chickened out. You had ducks that chickened out. Okay, well, we'll just take your name off the candidate list, sir. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a gopher boy. Okay, well, I wasn't even going to make you gopher. I was just going to ask you to look stuff up, but that's... Fine, we're taking you off the candidate list, and let's see who else will call in and say I'm not going to do it. <laughs> they have started a whole movement here. Okay, we'll talk to you later. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, I think we got a new theme for next Saturday. Who wants to be our research assistant? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think that should be a perfect theme. Very good. Very good. Okay. Well, I, I have to make a note for myself. Look up. Wait a minute. I have to do that.
do this, have to do this. Look up how to make a national day. <laughs> I tell you. Maybe we could have a national Patricia and Walden day. Perfect. You know, Patricia's notes prepping for the show and afterwards are very interesting. They're very interesting, yes. They are, yeah. You're quite right. Mm-hmm. You're quite right. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got loads of stuff here. I've, I've got um, Christmas stuff, too. Some Christmas traditions. Okay. Right. Cheer up the lonely day. Now, that's on the 11th. That's mm-hmm. Monday. So everybody has a job to do. Smile at somebody. That's all you have to do. If you're at the supermarket and you find somebody who's grumpy or lonely, you smile at them. They'll love it. Okay. And then and then on July 12th, then you can get rewarded because it's National Pecan Day. Oh, I'm sorry, Pecan Pie Day. Oh! There goes Walden. You like pecan pies, don't uh-huh, you? Uh-huh. Very nice. <laughs> I remember. I love pie. And for the grand finale on July 15th, we nothing, have... Nothing on the 13th or 14th? We have I bypassed that. There wasn't anything really terribly oh, okay, interesting. Okay. It was yeah. interesting to the people who put in for it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I thought July 15th kind of took the day. It is Cow Appreciation Day. I mean, Moo Moo? Go hug a cow, yeah. Aww. I'm going to hug a cow. Well, I've, I, I've been a benefactor of all the hard work they do over the years. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I asked yeah. before the, the show, you were benefactor of cows? Well, I, I'm, I, you know, the milk they oh. produce. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Why don't you eat the cow? It's over and done with. That's true. I was thinking of the milk and the ice cream and all the dairy products. Oh, you're into the heavy stuff. Uh-huh. I didn't go back to the show. I asked before the show started if anybody could identify what a snood was. Saber talked about selling a snood to Santa because, of course, good old teeny. <laughs> she, could, she could sell anything. She was selling her miserable toe. Perfect. And it was for 25 cents, and she said she'd stop by the following day to pick up her 35 cents. And he said, 35 cents? She said, yes, tax. Perfect. Tax, I'm not paying any tax. And she said, otherwise, if you don't have tax, you'll not be able to hang it overhead, which was great writing again. But when he was talking about her, instead of saying something like selling ice cubes to the Eskimos, he said, wind up selling a snood to Santa for <laughs> his beard. Wow. What is a snood? I have no idea. A snood was, it actually has two definitions. A snood is a, a, a piece of, um, oh, how am I going to describe this? It, it's not really wadding, but it, oh, kind of a long hot dog type thing that you fold your hair over and it, it creates a nice French twist or a roll. It. Yeah. Okay. A roll. That's one snood. Yeah. Snood he's talking about is actually a little um, muffler for your nose. No kidding. No kidding. In the early, early days, they used to, because it was so cold outside, um, they would have mufflers and this separate little thing that fit over the nose to keep it warm. It was a snood. You know, going back to your 10 cent sale tax. Uh-huh. Oh, it was, it was tax. Tax. She, she was charging him tax. I don't think they even had taxes on stuff until the, until later in the war. I don't know about that. But she, it was a 
course, a Don, typical Don right. Quinn play on words. Right. She was selling thumbtacks. Oh, I was thinking. She, she said tax. He said, I'm not going to pay any tax. And Got it. Tax. He wrote it a lot better than I'm describing. I understand. But, but the essence of the message was yeah, you're not able to hang it unless you pay for the tax. And yeah. they were thumbtacks that she was. Perfect. Oh, she was a wee one dealer. So I have to. I have to put that, you know, sales tax. When did sales tax? Well, I just remember a lot of times when, when uh, then like in the, like 30, 43, 44, uh, you could hear PV saying, and one cent for the government. That's right. You know? That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, David in Alabama sent a big document that I'm working through about income tax, the evolution of income tax. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have to get an email to him and thank him for sending it and give him an update and say, hey, uh, but it deals exclusively with income tax. I don't think there's anything about sales tax in Got there, it. but it's, you know, a 55-page document, so I haven't. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's big. It's a biggie. And um, really a, a very professional document. It's not something that, you know, somebody just typed up uh -huh. on the top of their head. It's full of references and um information sources, so it really is uh, an impressive document, but I have not read the whole thing, so I don't know if it even talks about, I don't think so, I think it's exclusively income tax that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. so. Okay, well, I have some posters and movie cards, and movie cards that were smaller oh, yeah. than movie posters, mm -hmm. but they go up for auction. I wonder if those are the same as lobby cards. Of lobby cards? Mm -hmm. I would think so. Okay. I, I think that's what they're talking about. Movie cards would be the ones behind glass, you know, kind of glass yep. enclosed. Yep, that's what I'm they thinking. posters and smaller ones with, um, I guess the, the smaller ones were more substantial. Mm -hmm. it would, it, was the paper quality thicker and more? I don't, I don't know, but they consider more valuable, seemed to me, to pe who, people who collect those things. Well, I've only I only pulled lobby cards. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I found think, two, and I think I, I think that's the right way to go. It it's, it boggles my mind when I look at these things and think that it's printing on a piece of paper and the value of these things. But they talked about a lobby card of eleven by fourteen, which is just a little larger than a legal size piece of paper. Because <clears throat> a legal size piece of paper is eight and a half by fourteen, this is eleven by fourteen, and it's the Mummy's Curse from you. Very fine with a plus sign, but anyway, for that itty bitty thing, that's a little bit larger than. A legal size piece of paper, the estimated value is four hundred to six hundred dollars. Now, I got a that's an awful lot of money to spend on a piece of paper. I am aware of a gentleman that you and I both know. Uh-huh. He was showing some of his movie lobby cards for eight thousand dollars. Oh, I know, I know. Can you the next imagine? Got his ghost of Frankenstein, and that didn't go. Uh, for nearly the amount that some of the other Frankenstein's did, uh, the estimated value on that was twenty-two hundred. Wow! And it was just a lobby card. So but on some of the, you think you and I can get print a few up and just have them in? Yeah. How would we age them? <laughs> Each paper. Leave it out in the rain a little while. No, that would ruin it. I don't know. You know, there are so many artists who have pulled 
heists. They're not heists. They pulled off capers of reproducing documents with paper that was aged properly and really fools the experts. I don't know how they do it. I wouldn't know where to begin. Well, you think of the people who uh, uh, artwork they, they pull off. Uh, they, you know, take oh, out sure. the they original and... Then goes and then, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's true. I don't know. That's true. If I had $2,250, I would not come home with a ghost of Frankenstein piece <laughs> of paper. So, uh, I'll be pretty sure of that. Uh, we would not see that on Patricia's wall. I mean, this wasn't even... This was a Lon Chaney Jr. Hmm. It wasn't even a Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. So, no, you're not going to find that stuff on my walls. Mm-hmm. Now, I might consider an Ansel Adams. I, I, if I, if, yeah, I, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Ansel Adams was a black-and-white photographer who set an entirely new pace and new format for black-and-white photography. He was, he was magnificent. Some of his artwork. I've got some prints that are still sitting in their rolls, waiting to be put in frames. But um, he he really was a, a an artist. Put him with a. I mean, he would sit out in the desert and just sit and wait and watch and go back the next night and wait and watch. And he would wait for the stars to be in the proper area uh-huh. and wait for the moon to juxtapose with the sun. I mean, it was just incredible yeah. what he would go through to get what he considered was as perfect a photo as possible. Mm. Remarkable man. Can you imagine Can you imagine just sitting there waiting, waiting, and he take the picture and he miss? Oh, Walden. I mean, can you think of the heartbreak that would oh, be? Oh, Walden. That, that just made my tummy go zing. You know, I, I feel sorry for the guy. When, you know, he probably did that a few times, waited, had it all worked out, and then it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to be. What well, I'm saying, he had to be a very patient person to do that. Indeed he was. Yeah. Indeed he was. And to wait, wait for the moon for a particular day at a particular time to have a position just right mm-hmm. in between two mountains so that the mountains formed a V right. and the moon was in the center of right. that. And to do it and not have a rainy night, mm-hmm. I mean, he'd have to wait forever right. to get that perfect if it were a rainy night. Right. There was some evidence at one time that... Some of his photography was actually two photographs superimposed on each other. So you would get a mountain on one side and then the mountain with a moon on the other side and the two of them would come together and form a single picture. I would prefer just to sit here in my sweet innocence and say the man was a genius (laughs) and let it go at that because I just love his work. Mm -hmm. Okay, the oldest record of a decorated Christmas tree. Where do you think? Well, I don't think it's in America. I would say it's in Europe. Right. Probably Germany. Uh-huh. Um, 1721. Boy, I don't know how you do this. No, it was 1605. Oh. But I, I, just, I wouldn't have known even where to throw a dart on this one. Um, 
I'm looking at this, and it's Strasbourg, France, and apparently it be, it was a, a territory that became part of Germany. Is that possible? Well, you had to, yeah, because, you know, Germany was not really a country until 1871 with all the whole kingdoms, and they had all... So that's, um, that's what happened then. And, and it, had all the, it had all the wars with France, so probably um, back and forth, back and forth. Okay. Be my guess. Well, the tree came from a 1605 diary that was found, and the tree was decorated with paper roses, apples, and candles. Very nice. The first record of Christmas trees in America was for children in the German Moravian Church's settlement in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Christmas 1747. Actual trees were not decorated, but wooden pyramids covered with green branches were decorated. I had a piece of information that said William and Mary College had, in Williamsburg, had the first decorated Christmas tree in the States. And that would have been like 1765, something around there. Does that sound right? Yep, I bet it was. So I will have, <laughs> I'm not going to make any more notes to myself. <laughs> when it comes Christmas time, I will dig up my other notes. I do have some notes from Christmases. And I'll find the correct date. But it, it was, no, it was in the 1800s. They had already settled Williamsburg, but it was in the 1800s when the first decorated Christmas tree, the actual tree, went up. Uh, okay. Let's see. In 1834, Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, was credited with bringing the first Christmas tree to Windsor Castle, oh. royal family. Isn't that neat? You know, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert were just a remarkable couple. They, they adored each other. She had something like nine children. Well, you know, they, they must have had a good life together. They produced nine. They, uh-huh. <laughs> he, he died before she did uh. and spent the rest of her years wearing black. Well, then she left. He, really they were heartbroken. They were they were meant to be together. They were meant to be the, together. I mean, yeah. it was it was not it was not a feigned or a theatrical. It was not a arranged marriage by royal families of those time for uh, no. power and territory and all that no, kind of and stuff. Oh, and she went into mourning, she stayed in mourning. Yeah. She disappeared from the face of the earth for quite a while. And when she finally emerged, she did her royal duties and very little more, <clears throat> excuse me, and spent the rest of her days dressed in black. It was really just a, a heartbreaking story to know that two people loved each other so much and enjoyed and appreciated each other so much and be able to do it in a royal atmosphere. Yes. And one of them died and the other one spent many years alone. It was really heartbreaking. But, you know, they had each other, though, for all those years. I guess they could look at it that way. Nine children worth, right? Nine worth, you know. That's a lot of babies. That's a lot of babies, yeah. I think her hormones might have been out of whack a little bit sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> poor, poor. I, I would guess that yeah. she had a few ups and downs on that. My God. Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. We are, after 5 o'clock, we still have not heard... From some of our family. I know. They are, uh... They are, just... playing hooky. They're just playing hooky. They're playing hooky. They're going out, they're, they're, they're out looking for ducks. <laughs> they are. 
that I can help with. (laughs) (laughs) I have loads of ducks. I have many, many ducks. Okay, let's see. By 1850, the Christmas tree had become fashionable in the eastern states. Until this time, it had been considered a quaint foreign custom. No kidding. Well, indeed, it was quaint, and indeed, it was a foreign custom. It came to us from Europe. Europe. We didn't make our own. We borrowed everybody else's. That's true. So, anyhow, that's my Christmas tree stuff for tonight. Terrific. I got lots of other stuff, but I think I'll save it. All right. Should we... Ready to disappear? I think we're ready to go to Betty Bye. We are ready to do. You had a very busy weekend. We had a great weekend. I got to be with Norman. And I got to top it off to be with the lovely and talented Patricia. Well, thank you, Sir yeah. Walden. So we're going to find up our theme music, and we'll be back next Saturday, everybody. With next Saturday. Now, you said uh, a while back that we might be a little bit late next week. Are uh, we going to be on time? No, we're going to be on time because that birthday party is from 2 to 5 West Coast time. Okay. So, All right. So, so, we'll, so on that. We'll, be, we'll be good to go. Okay. You know, so I never knew. Just try. But, you know, we're here. So we'll just get our theme music up. Okay. All right, everybody. We love you very much. And I'll let Patricia say goodnight to everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you for being with us. I will have new goodies for next week. And uh, we're putting out the application for <laughs> research assistant for Patricia and Walton. We'll be here next week being with us. Have a good week, everybody. Yeah. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. It's Florida Rider at Hotmail.com. All applications will be, be, will be screened. Can I buy the chocolate? Good night, everybody. <laughs> Just make your mind up The piper must be paid The party's over The candles flicker and dim You danced and dreamed through the night It seemed to be right Just being with him Now you must wake up All dreams must end Take off your makeup The party
Campbell's Soup bring you Amos and Everybody, it is Saturday night, July 16th, year 2011. I'm on twos. It is 7:28 here in the West Coast. Hope you all have a good day. My dad's birthday today, so we've been busy celebrating it. But first, we'll say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the wonderful opportunity of being on the station. Bless my dad. Thank you for having him be in my life. Thank you for letting him be my dad. Bless all the listeners, supporters of the station. Uh. Look after Kim, if she's still in Pennsylvania. Look after John Rebin and Bill Bragg as they uh, power around together. Look after all our friends out there, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here's some Christmas music while I get Patricia on. What's our special guest? Thank you. 
turn down the Christmas music and hope everybody's having a great July. And hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden, and Merry Christmas, everybody. We are back with our Christmas celebration. You know Christmas in July is Walden's special time because he can't have it 12 months a year. He will settle for two. Uh, we thought... For Christmas, the United States Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program would be a great feature to talk about in July. So tonight we have a surprise for you. We have a very special guest, Major Bill Brine, who is Vice President of Marine Toys for Tots Foundation. Hi, Bill, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, we're just so happy that you'll be able to uh, spend some time with us tonight. Um, I think probably 99.9% of the people in this country know the name Toys for Tots. They hear it every Christmas, but not everybody knows the background about it, um, how it works, and in particular for us, what your role is and how you became part of the Toys for Tots Foundation. Boy, how's that for a mouthful? <laughs> yeah, I can talk all night about that, uh, about all that. Uh, it, Toys for Tots uh, had an interesting beginning uh, in 1947. Uh, you know, we're right after World War II. There's a lot of families, uh, you know, who have lost their fathers primarily during that time. We didn't have the social uh, support system that we have uh, now, and uh, there were... Uh, a lot of families that were struggling during the holiday season, and uh, a major Bill Hendricks, who uh, was a reserve Marine uh, major in Los Angeles, uh, and his wife, Diane, were having dinner. Diane had just finished making a little doll, and she said, Bill, why don't you find an agency that you know, will uh, accept the doll and give it to a, a less fortunate child during the, the Christmas season. This was uh, in uh, late November, early December time frame of 47. Well, Bill put the doll in his car and uh, uh, dutifully that week looked for agencies, came back and, and finally said, Diane, there is no agency in L.A. Uh, that specifically does that. Uh, and so Diane, being a good Marine Corps wife, put her finger up uh, in Bill's face and said, then you need to start one. <laughs> so you know, Bill and uh, a handful, well, actually, Bill went to his commanding officer and said, uh, you know, I'd like to take some of our Marines, collect toys, and give them to less fortunate children this Christmas. And his commanding officer gave him one order and uh, very definitive and said, don't fail. And uh, so from that point on, they collected about 5,000 toys, uh, distributed them to uh, less fortunate families in uh, L.A., and it was a very successful program in a very short period of time, and uh, so much so that the Marine Corps decided the next year, 1948, that they should do it nationally. So we've been, uh, we've been doing it, uh, collecting toys uh, for less fortunate children, uh, for 63, this is, I think, our 64th year uh, now, and uh, e each year um, uh, we try to reach as many uh, children uh, living at or below the poverty level uh, as we can. I might be hopping ahead a little bit here, but can you give us some numbers 
in terms of the numbers of families or children or toys or dollars, give us a, uh, an idea of the size and scope of the project. Sure. Well, you know, we started, like I said, uh, 5,000 uh, toys uh, in 1947, uh, grew a little bit uh, every year until around the 80s, uh, 19, late 80s, uh, when I first got involved, uh, we were uh, helping around 3 million children. And, uh, and now, 25, uh, six years later, uh, last year, we reached 7.2 million children. We're very proud of that. We collected about 16 million uh, toys, books, and other gifts uh, that uh, were appropriate for these children. Uh, you know, not all the toys are uh, what we would call uh, uh, top shelf uh, 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 toys. A, a lot of those are uh, stocking stuffer type things. So we might give a child, um, you know, a Tonka truck, uh, maybe a book or two uh, for a child uh, of the appropriate age, and uh, and another stocking stuffer to uh, uh, make their Christmas package complete. So uh, uh, we've gone all the way from 5,000 toys to over 16 million last year, uh, and it's. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a tough, hard job uh, during the holiday season. It's a, it's full of a lot of activity, a lot of pleasure and excitement. But uh, we have a lot of people, Marines, and a lot of volunteers who work very, very hard to make this program happen. Tell me how these people come together. You've got community volunteers. You've got Marines and Marine reservists who are working on this. How does it happen? Well, you know, uh, the Marines uh, have have been running this program, and and uh, uh, as it kept getting bigger, we always said, well, let's just leave the program at this size, and we can manage it. Well, the next year it got a little bigger, and then we said, well, let's try to hold it at that size. And the next year, uh, more people found out about it and said and needed toys, and more people found out about it, wanted to donate toys and gifts and get involved. So uh, like it or not, it just uh, it has a life of its own and we can't, uh, you know, we can't not try to reach as many families as we can. And that's not the Marine Corps way. You know, our job is to, uh, we want to reach all 14 million less fortunate children if, if we can. But um, in all the major cities across the country, we have Marine units running very large programs. In many uh, of the smaller communities, communities. Uh, we have former Marines, uh, retired Marines, people who like children, people who like Christmas, uh, who volunteer to help out in the program. And, uh, you know, it's very important to get those volunteers. Uh, everybody knows uh, where our country's having some financial problems and uh, uh, the Marine Corps uh, is getting smaller uh, as one of the answers to make the defense budget uh, smaller. And uh, for that reason, there'll be fewer Marines uh, able to uh, run their programs in these communities. So it's important to that unit and to the success of that community's Toys for Tots program that uh, more people volunteer to help out. So this is going to be a, a, a big year for trying to get uh, get our Marines to recruit more volunteers for uh, for the Toys for Tots program. 
Before we finish up, I'm certainly going to ask you how people can help and how they can find units in their own communities or in their own areas. We're talking with Major Bill Grine, who is Vice President of the Marine Toys for Tots Foundation, and I'm just so happy that you were able to join us tonight. Give us a call if you have a question or a comment at 714-545-2071. Most of our regular listeners know that number by heart now. Bill, how did you get involved in the program? Well, in uh, 1986... I was uh, uh, received a transfer from Quantico uh, Marine Base, where I am uh, now, uh, to uh, the 4th Marine Division in New Orleans, and that is the uh, reserve division uh, that uh, has all of our reserve units across the country, and one of the responsibilities of that unit is to uh, run the Toys for Tots program. And uh, my billet as public affairs officer was to run the national part of the program uh, for uh, the reserves. So uh, I got involved uh, just because it was part of my duty uh, duties to do that and uh, got really involved, really enjoyed uh, what I was doing, and I was close to the end of my career. Uh, and at the end, we realized, as I had mentioned earlier, the program just keeps uh, getting larger and larger. And uh, as we found out more and more about how charities operate, uh, the Marine Corps needed some help uh, to run the program year-round. And there was no one in the Marine Corps uh, that had the, the time uh, to run the program uh, year round, and there was no one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that uh, uh, are involved in running uh, a major charity, and it's it's practically it, it's almost a business. And the Marine Corps didn't really want to get involved in running the business end of the program, so we started a foundation in the late '80s. Uh, that uh, I thought would be helping me run the program while I was still in the Marine Corps. Didn't uh, quite work out that way. Took a while for it to get started. But the year I retired was the year the Marine Corps uh, authorized and got permission to run uh, and open a uh, Toys for Tots Foundation. And uh, uh, I uh, retired from the Marine Corps and became the vice president of uh, the foundation where I've been for the last 20 years uh, helping to uh, face funds and, and run the program, the business end. And, and there's things like uh, registering in the states, all the states, so with the attorney general so that our Marines can uh, collect toys and ask people for toys and, and to raise dollars and do different functions uh, to um, uh, promote the program. So uh, all these things are uh, necessary evils as far as legal uh, things go. So we uh, we do that so the Marine Corps doesn't have to. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, uh, the foundation raises toys throughout the year. You know, the Marines only do it in November and December. Uh, we do it throughout the year, fully knowing that all of our marine units, and we have uh, 714 Toys for Tots programs across the country, uh, they all will run out of toys 
before they're going to run out of children uh, asking for toys and needing toys. So our job at the foundation is to raise toys and dollars to buy toys throughout the year. So come Christmas, we can give uh, these marine units and Toys for Tots programs locally a lot of help so they can keep their lines open and reach more children. Do you have time a timeline during the year where you need to be at a particular point in raising dollars, you need to be at a particular point in collecting toys? Well, you know, uh, the good and bad part of the program is, you know, if we don't raise any money, we don't buy any toys, uh, we don't go in debt, you know, to to buy toys, we never spend a dollar uh, that we don't have. But we have already purchased, uh, you know, with a lot of dollars that that came in too late in December to help our Christmas program last year, uh, we use to buy toys this year. And we have already spent probably $12 million uh, ordering toys uh, for Christmas 2011. So uh, we, uh, we have a lot of toys coming in. We've uh, talked to a number of corporate sponsors, uh, toy manufacturers, Toys R Us, Hasbro, uh, Scholastic Books, uh, and a number of other companies that are going to uh, donate uh, gifts uh, that we'll be picking up. If, uh, some of them we've already picked up and have stored. Others will be coming in between now and uh, and early December for distribution this year. We uh, expect to have about $25 million worth of toys and books donated to us uh, this year, and uh, we'll raise another uh, you know 20 to $40 million, hopefully, to buy the toys that, and gifts that we need. Bill, it's going to be a long, long time before we hear from a caller who says, I'm so busy, I don't know how I'm going to do it before Christmas. <laughs> this is just incredible. We, we have a, a lot of work to do, and every month uh, when we hit, uh, get to the 25th of the month, I think, how many months is it now till Christmas, uh, and, and how much do I have to do? Uh, but, uh, you know, there's... Uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of work yet to be done. Uh, you know, naturally, a lot of uh, the dollars that come in are coming in in November and December. Uh, you know, it's right after Halloween. Uh, we we get to the first of November, and people naturally turn their attention and thoughts to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and uh, a, a lot of attention comes our way, and uh, and that's. That's great. Uh, you know, we we need to help uh, our local uh, Marines and Toys for Tots volunteers uh, appreciate having the toys and uh, donated to them, uh, and uh, we uh, appreciate uh, a, a lot of the dollars uh, that come in uh, only because. Sometimes uh, we'll talk to a, a unit and uh, find out how things are going, and they'll say, well, they're very good, except for, you know, I've got 5,000 toys uh, for little bo 